Welcome to episode 535 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, team, welcome along to episode 535 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? Pretty good, thanks, Bevan. And you? Uh, I'm pretty good, too. That's good. Yeah, we both had big weekends, I hear. Yes, big weekend. Big weekend. You were yep. suffering, I hear. I was. Surprise 40th birthday for Belinda. That, now, now, did you get away with her not figuring it out? Yes. Well done. Yep, she knew something. She kind of figured something was up, but um, no, we got away with it. And so we so what's the, how'd, how'd you do it? I, I just contacted people from out of town, got quite a few in. We had about 20 people, went to a really nice uh, restaurant and So you, should, you just say we're going out for dinner? Yep, with the with the Philinator and uh, Jen. Jen. Yep, and we, but it was a bit early, it was like five o'clock, so she, that was the only thing she kind of thought was a bit odd. But I had a, was organising a race the next day. And, uh, so you said, look, I just I want to get done early. I love you, babe, but this yep. race is important. So we got that sorted and yeah. And it didn't help that it was daylight savings, our clocks were changing. Yeah. So I got, got to bed about one thirty. that was actually 2.30, uh, and then had to get up at just after 5 to get organised for a race that I was organising, so it wasn't my best effort. Yes, I did have a few fenders, yeah. Did you go out dancing? No. Oh, just, so just no. at the restaurant? Just the restaurant. You were drinking from 5 till 1? Yep. Well, okay, you know, when do you retire the next time? I was in better shape than some people. <laughs> Put it that way. Oh, really? Mm. Okay, I took his proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Lactic buffer. And our patrons. Let's name a few of these. Oh, oh, you haven't got any names there. Okay, Bevan. Tell us tell us about your weekend. I went to a wedding, John. Yeah. Went to a wedding. Tell you what, we rocked up the dance floor. Did you? Big time. Yeah. Oh, you know what, John? You don't dance much when you get older, do you? No, you don't. You know, and I love dancing. Good. I do love dancing, and so it was quite good to rock You've up. You even the put dance that on your wedding invite. You go. Dinner, something else, and then dancing. Yeah. If you don't dance, you're not invited. Okay. You, yeah, you better dance. Okay. Oh. I've seen you dance. We've rocked up the dance floor in Kona. Yeah. Yeah. We're we cranking it. Yeah, we've cranked up really hard. Is there going to be a, is there going to be a bloody party this year in Kona? Well, let's hope so. That's always the mission when you get to Kona, team. So when you get to Kona, you've got a job. You've got to make sure we're <laughs> delivering class content to you guys. But behind the scenes, the number one question you have is. Have you got a ticket to the after party? And people go to us, can you get us a ticket? It's like, we don't even get tickets, hardly. Well, we've managed anyway, one every year. Aaron, the interpreter, Howitz, nice. gear, gear, Golden Shoes, Ole Johansson, Grant, the King of Swing, Richards, and Michael, King of the Castle, more peace. I'm the King of the Castle. Okay, guys, you want to be a patron? Just go to www.iamtalk.me. Okay, guys, in this week's show, we've got a little bit of news and we've got a couple interviews. So the interviews are with who, Jombo? We've got uh, Torsten from Tri Rating telling us all about his report for this year. And then one of the requests we had for Kona was to get some of the organisers from Kona, sort mm. of the, the event directors, and just tell us a little bit about the inside of the uh, inside of the race. So we're going to be we've got uh, I think we've got the finish line director coming up, um, the registration director. And one other as well, run course director as well. Yeah. So I'm um, not really sure where that's going to lead, but we'll see what we we find out about the race. I think it'd be fascinating, wouldn't it? Mm. The one thing I'm really interested in is is how painful is it dealing with the the needs of the athletes? Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because it's like if we if we think about it, 
like you put on races and mm. I've got a business where you're providing service and you know 90% of your, your clients are really great but you do get those kind of people who are quite needy mm. and I imagine for Ironman World Championship jeepers mm. creepers they were dealing with some needy people and mm -hmm. so I imagine just the kind of the demands of that must be pretty full on okay, okay. Uh, anyway let's get into it so this week's news first of all we're starting off with a big piece of news uh, there's been announced a race called the Collins Cup thecollinscup.com which has been put on by the Professional triathlon organisation. Well, they've got a very strong influence. I wouldn't say it's been put awesome, on man. by then. Uh, it's bit, so it's it's going to be a very interesting concept. So I'm surprised it hasn't had much media coverage. To be honest, this week something bits and pieces. But um, I got the email through, and I think it looks interesting. It's it's kind of for the, those of you who know about the Ryder Cup. It's a golf competition, and it's basically going to be. Uh, USA versus Europe versus uh, internationals. internationals and it's sort of going to be head-to-head -head racing and sort of point scoring stuff and it's going to be an interesting format so the, the race distance is going to be uh, over a 3k 120k bike a 3k swim 120k bike and 25 kilometer run but is it split up over 12 races is it uh, but it's going to be head to, athletes going going head to head, so it's not going to be all of them oh. starting together. It's going to be one up racing. So they'll be on the start line. You'll have, you know, one person from America, one person from uh, Europe, one international, and they go head to head. Um, getting all fired up it's going to have a sort of a point scoring system that's going to be based on your placing and also your time they're going to have communications out there so during the bike and run portions of the event each athlete will be mic'd up and in contact with their respective captains communications will be broadcast to the tv audience and all the captains will have access to various live metrics like pace power watts cadence heart rate uh, and all of the competitors will be permitted to communicate this information to their team members throughout the race so it could get quite Quite um, strategic out there. Races of three people mm. Going, over uh, a long course. Uh, yeah, but the, and then ten-minute gaps between each one. So, say for oh, example, okay. it might be <clears throat> you know uh, Cameron Brown from the rest of the world versus Tim O'Donnell from the States versus um, Andreas Raylert from from Germany. They'll go boom three-man race uh, and you get three points whoever wins out of that group two points for second one point for 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 uh, third and then it's also you get bonus points awarded depending on the time difference so if you just um if you you know completely bomb so if you win by five minutes you get an extra half point if you win by 10 minutes you get an extra point and if you win by more than 15 points you get one and a half is points. it just every plus five or is it does it max out at one and a half points uh, it just meant goes half point, point, one and a half points. So it's not. So if you won by an hour, it does. Yeah, then you, you just get one, the one and a half, half points. Okay. But it could get then become a little bit tactical, especially if you're four and a half minutes down. You know, you might really want to try to um, try to stop that person getting that extra half point. So I think it's a really interesting concept. Do you think that, that maybe long course isn't the way to go? I think short course would be a lot better. Yeah, but because this, it, the, I don't. What kind of thinking is, is a spectator? The gaps, you know what I mean. Like a long course doesn't doesn't have that closeness, does it? Absolutely, but this is this is a long course competition. Yeah. So I agree that I think a short course version of this would be really cool. But this is being pushed by the professional triathlon triathletes organisation, and they're very much 
long course athletes. The oh, short course so this is, is by the pros. Okay. Yeah, the, the short course athletes. They're all done. It's all done by by the ITU, and and yeah. and, and this is a it's a long course competition. So yes, you can debate the merits of how distances, but this is a, this is a long course race. So I think it's going to be interesting. Really, really interesting to see how they go. Uh, it does apparently have really good money behind it. So that's always you know a, a massive decider on who's actually going to rock up. I think the other things that really help this is is uh, you've got a lot of the pro athletes involved in the ideas and the organisation in it, so they've got a vested interest in terms of um, making it actually work. Other events that have failed or, or not done that well in the past have, have that have had really good money, so we've had like Abu Dhabi, um, Abu Dhabi Triathlon that had great money and we had like the the um, the challenge race there in uh, Bahrain and uh, they both did okay but they, they weren't really the game changers that they thought they were and I think a lot of the reason behind that was A, the timing, that they often were at the wrong part of the season, you know, so Bahrain was right at the very end of the season so a lot of athletes kind of go, oh, can't be bothered and the other one was in March bit early in the season for athletes who want to be in top shape for, for later in the year so timing was always an issue location was an issue which meant they had to you know travel to to um, the Arab countries to, to race and also I guess the question around this event as well is around the sustainability of it so got some big money up um, <clears throat> up front from from a company to, to make sure it happens but will it be sustainable will they actually grow a big age group race out of that and actually create the crowd because it's all good and well having an event with the rock stars there but you want to have some some atmosphere and that's where events like Hamburg the ITU race does really well in the ITU events because they've got big numbers there from from the athletes participating they'll sit around and 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 support the event and actually create some atmosphere so I think um, yeah it's uh, as you said watching a long course race can sometimes be a bit boring so uh, well in some ways I'm kind of thinking yeah it definitely could be a bit weird because remember years ago where they had that Tim Reed versus no um, Macca versus no, no Reed, the, uh, years ago Peter Reed versus um, Tim DeBoom mm. had a one-on-one triathlon mm. and it was a bit of a non-event because it was kind of like one guy got a head game over mm. But in, as I think about this event and as, as I think about how they're doing it, it actually isn't, it's actually quite a cool idea because, okay, well, you might have the first race where there is, you know, I don't know, let's say one guy takes off and two guys are racing for second and third. But because you've got so many races within that time frame, you've got lots of different aspects you can be watching. So mm. while there is only one, you know, like, you kind of think, well, three guys taking on each other in long course might be a kind of a silly concept. If you've got 12 races all happening at the same time, and they're all going to be starting within, what, well, now two hours of each other. So basically, for you know, for a period of probably around six hours, you're going to have lots of different races that you're actually watching. So while there might be one or two where it's just quite dominated by characters, and also I wonder how they'll do the grading. You well, know, that's, so that's where the team captain's come, role comes in. And, uh, you know... Andreas, uh, not Andreas, really, you know, Jan Fredino, he's the best athlete in the world. He's probably going to win his race. Mm. But if you're the team captain, you're going, Andreas, um, um, Jan, you're only five minutes up. We need you to be 10 minutes up to get that extra half point. Yeah, yeah. So I think that adds, plus with the athletes being mic'd up and stuff, you know, if you had a macker out there, he's going to be yapping away the whole bloody time. <laughs> if you have someone else, you know, like Cameron Brown, he probably won't say a word the whole way through the race. Mm. But that could add an extra element to it. So each team is going to have six men and six women. Eight is selected from the international rankings of the professional triathletes organisation, and the remaining four athletes, two men and two women, will and be selected spot. by the team captains. And they're saying that they might have a legend spot as well. Mm. Mm, so, so, I think it's um, 
it's got enough unique factors for us to be really interested in it. And and the other thing for me is the timing's really good. I think um, from memory is June. Yeah. Perfect, you know, because you're going to have people doing um, Rote or Germany most likely. <clears throat> and so they're going to want to do a race as, as a build-up. So have, have a drink of water. Thanks, mate. So I think it's, it's looking cool. Time will tell, but it's not going to be till 2018. So they've given themselves plenty of time to lead into it, plenty of time for athletes to get it into their schedule. And uh, I think it's going to be cool. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the first concept, I kind of think, mm, I'm not really sure. But now, as I think about it, I think the way that they're actually putting the race together could be a really interesting watch. I suppose who's the target market? They are saying there's an age group race the day before, mm. so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But um, yeah, is it, is it, is it yeah, who's who they're trying to sell this to? You know, because if it wants to be an on, you know, you've talked <coughs> about how a lot in the past we haven't had these events that have been successful. Well, how do they make this, you know, a target market product that we want to see every year? And this is the opportunity where they might have a course, maybe, that is, you know, five laps of 30k or whatever the distance is going to be. And if you did a really cool course and had a nice big long hill in the middle, that would be pretty cool to to really create that sort of rote atmosphere in there. So There's no idea where it's going to be run? They haven't said that yet. Okay, just two things. Lastly, it's Collins Cup. It's called the Collins Cup because of Jim Collins is the man... Uh, Jim and Judy Collins were the ones who kind of started the original Ironman, so that's why it goes to there. Um, and lastly, John, right at the moment, who's going to win it? If you were to do it today, it's got to be Euros, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Euros yeah. smash it. Yeah. Euros Although, so. you know, you've got Tim Reid and you know, the rest of the world. You know, like this distance. I think the Americans would get smashed. <laughs> yeah. Who would be the Americans? You have... Uh, Tim O'Donnell um, on the go- uh, for, for the guys. But uh, 70.3 athletes would work for this as well. Mm. You know? Andy, Andy, I mean, Andy Potts could do quite well at that. Who's, who's yeah. the Uber biker? Um, Lion, not Lionel Sanders. Butterfield, maybe. Lionel Sanders is Canadian, though. Um, yeah, but, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, no, Starkowitz. Yeah, yeah Starkowitz, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, well, two years from now, we'll be talking about it. Mm. <laughs> okay, uh, next piece of news that we have here, Jombo, as I pull up my notes, is the ITU Long Course Championships happened this weekend, and Jodie Swallow won the title again. Yeah, very impressive, in very yeah. impressive fashion. So she uh, really just went out there and crushed it. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of shape she's in for, for Kona. So she swam 103, biked uh, three, 3 hours 15, and ran 2 hours 15. So she had the fastest swim... Looks like the fastest bike and didn't quite have the fastest run. Emily Cox from the States ran 2.13 and Kelly Williamson ran 2.09. So she was a few minutes off on the run, but finished with 6.37, seven-minute victory over Caroline Steffen and Rachel McBride in third in 6.56. So pretty big time gaps there. Um, and oh, massive. You know, fif- she was 20 minutes ahead of third. Yeah, 15 yeah. minutes, uh, only 15 fem- female athletes racing. Then on the guys' side of things, uh, we had a uh, pretty pretty good little race there uh, between Sylvain Sudry from France, taking it out from Sylvino from France. So Sylvain swam 57, rode, uh, rode 257 and ran a 203 to take it out by three minutes and very much, you know, won that. Almost won it in the swim by swimming 57. You know, uh, second place Cyril Vino's bike split was a couple of minutes faster. Run split was three minutes faster, but he lost um, eight minutes in the swim. So impressive stuff. Matt Charbot, a uh, good long course race for him. Former short course athlete was third in 6.06. Now, I had an email through. 
I've just pulled up Facebook because I had a, a, um, a post there from a Kiwi and Dave Dwan's been posting um, Finnish, Finnish um, This is your Finnish line photo? No, the Philanade at the Phil's walk, Phil's walking down the finishing shoot having just finished Kona and then he's just about to pass out <laughs> uh, So I, I had a message in Bevan, you tell us about uh, well, while I'm looking at what you are you're doing this, I just kind of clicked on Crow. Crow got sixth in the long course championships. It, it is Crow. He's kind of he's losing the edge now, isn't he? He's kind of yes and no. Oh, I mean, on, he, he did. Got, you know, yeah, he's not the same yeah. standard he's at, but he did really well at seventy point three champs. So he's, he's still yeah, but like you know, last year he was still winning races. Mm -hmm. You know, this year he's kind of you know he's still po he's still top ten. You know, but anyway, I'm just kind of geeking out on some of his old results in the ITU world. So back in 19, 1995, the Sydney ITU World Cup, he got eighth in the elite men. That was a big day for him. Yeah, yeah. Auckland, he got fifth in 1996. His first win in an ITU race. Oh, he wouldn't have won the ITU races. He wasn't a great ITU athlete. Yeah, he did. He won ITU 2000 in Pan and American in Boston. Yeah, that's not top level. <laughs> okay, give him nothing. What about the 2007... Huskinson? Yeah. Oh, that's a long course. Yeah. Nick Boston was his only ever ITU run. No, win. Crowley never excelled at ITU distance. Anyway, uh, Daniel Bidgley, he went over to the long course champs, thought he'd give us a bit of a race report. Uh, the week leading into the race, the race organisers did a great job uh, having race familiarisation sessions, including police escorts around the bike course. Swim course familiarisation outside the allocated time was difficult as the lake is illegal to swim in normally. Jodie Swallow was greeted by four cops trying to arrest her when she went for a swim oh, really? on her own accord. Wow. Uh, but he basically went through and said on race morning they were working to strong winds. He said the outbound leg of the swim was okay, but when he was coming back, he said it was like swimming at Piha, which is a, it's, it's a, probably the most iconic surf uh, surf spot in New Zealand, and it's got uh, big surfs, pretty dangerous place to, to, to go swimming. And he just said it was a shallow lake, non-wetsuit swim, uh, and he said coming back into the wind was uh, was pretty epic. He said on the bike it was it was extremely windy. He had tailwind heading out and then just had to battle back into the wind. The run was three laps of 10k and again pretty difficult uh, temperatures up into the into the low 30s. He said it was well organised. He said Dylan McNeese was awesome hanging out with us age groupers during the week and giving us heaps of good advice and Dan uh, also managed to get onto the podium so well done. Nice. So it sounds like it was a good event. Just doesn't draw the same sort of pro fields that we would love to see from what is a, a world championship and yeah. more comes across as a sort of almost like a regional championship kind of field so thanks Dan for, for giving us this insight and well done to everybody who raced I'm in Chattanooga happened and it's kind of ironic really because uh, Marino Van Helenacker went there because Kona's always too hot for him and yeah. it was a bloody hot day it was baking <laughs> hot so, he's just thinking I can't escape this heat yes I had an athlete racing and it was uh, it was it was toasty so Marino Van Helenacker swam 45 rode 427 and uh, hung on with a 255 to win an 8.12 ahead of Jeff Simons and Matt Russell great field for um, mm -hmm. you know you had Matt That's Russell I mean, yeah. in third Matt Hansen fourth and Justin Deere in fifth place so good racing bloody hot conditions Marino very much had it set up on the bike with it with his 427 so good stuff um, I am going to take a bit of a pot shot at, at um WTC here so here I, 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 I had um, a female athlete racing out there and she had a great great day at the office um, but they didn't even give 
any recogn- any coverage whatsoever to the to the, the females. Now there was a non-pro race, race for females. Isn't yeah. It? yeah, but I mean, you've got someone, and this doesn't just apply to this race, um, but other races where it is just um, age group athletes racing. How hard is it just to have someone be updating a Twitter feed or or, or, or just their, their live updates? I mean, surely you just allocate one person to be doing that so you've got some updates because you really can't tell crap from from the from the, the, the tracker. You can go into individual athletes and figure out where they are on the course, but it won't give you any rankings on who's at the front or anything like that. So it's pretty crap. So you're saying even when they only have age group race, they should have some level of kind of feed on what's happening in the just yeah you know, so just, just the a leaderboard you know who, who's in the top five across these points well across the board they should be doing better it's 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 the, the frustrating thing is uh, you go to the actual results company called Sports Stats and they've actually got a leaderboard on there and you can actually do it uh, and actually see okay these are the people that are leading at this point in the race. Whereas you know, doesn't, uh, doesn't turn up on WTC's website. Very frustrating, John. You look frustrated. Yeah, yeah. But oh. great way to go and qualify. So I've got my girl qualified up for for Kona next year. You've got a year to train now. Yeah, uh, it's awesome. Cool. It means you can have a real focus. Morocco, Mallorca. Mallorca. Jeez, I always get that one wrong. Uh, Mallorca. Carlos Lopez Diaz took That's it out in eight twenty six from Marcus Frachbar from Germany in eight thirty one, and Gustav Rodriguez in third in eight thirty two. On the girls' side of things, we had uh, Jocelyn McCauley. We had an interview with her a while ago. She was the fastest age grouper in Kona maybe two years ago, I think it was. Uh, she took it out for her debut victory, and it was in convincing fashion by 12 minutes. She swam 56, rode 506, and ran 303 for 9.11, ahead of Mayer Stage Nielsen and... Tinky, uh, Tanika Vanderberg from Holland in third nine twenty four. So, uh, just looking at her forward to Kona now. So, a couple of pieces of big news this week. Pete Jacobs was actually officially pulled out of Kona. He just put a post up on his Facebook page this week, just saying, basically, he basically got hit with a pretty bad bunch of the flu in the last couple of weeks, and he's just decided that he didn't want to just go turn up to Kona and see how it goes. He thought he was better off to actually put his focus into 2017. And he's kind of saying that actually 2017 was always his focus. 2016 was just kind of about getting back on the horse. But this flu hasn't really helped him. So he's decided to not do Kona and put his focus into Ironman Arizona, which is because this is last year where he gets the validation, isn't it? This, I'm not sure. We well, won 2012. Mm. So 17 will be his last mm. free entry without having to qualify at least. Mm. So if he gets that validation done in Arizona, um, then that gives him plenty of time to actually really get to 17 in a good place. Pretty unfortunate, about isn't it? He really has had a shit time. He really has, hasn't he? He's done nothing since he's won the race. No, he really hasn't, has he? Yeah. I mean, and, he, he and he was a bloody good. You know, he'd done a lot before he won the race. He got was it was it fourth, third, second, or was it yeah. was something and like that? And outside of that, he'd done a lot as well. You yeah. know, and he hasn't really done a lot. So he also said he is now working with a coach, and he's always mm-hmm. been self-coach. But he said he's actually working with a coach, and it's been quite good because there's a bit more control around, um, you know, looking at the stats and using these things to actually make better training decisions. So it'll be good to see Pete back the next year, and hopefully he's in, in a place where he can be competitive with the race. Uh, other pieces of news: uh, just going to have a quick look at the finishes. Yeah, so um, we'll probably do this more when we're over there, but I've got um, good old Jordan Rapp from Slow Twitch. He's updated his page on, on Slow Twitch with the top Ironman finishes archive, so you can now go on there. They'll probably release the, the link, I'm not sure when, but uh, you go on there and it's got the top 10 since Kona started. It's always a cool little resource. We'll maybe talk a bit more about that come race time.
The one thing that they are going to do in Kona this year is they've got their Hall of Fame again, and this year they're going to be inducting Lou Freeland and Peter Reed, which is um, oh, that's cool. Cool. So Lou Friedman, uh, he ran the, the joint there for a while in the, I think it was in the, the 90s for WTC and we obviously know who Peter Reed is, but also gave us a little chance to look back and see all the people that have been inducted into the Hall of Fame. So 93 you had Dave Scott, 94 Julie Moss, 95 Scott Tinley, 96 Paul Newby Fraser, 97 Mark Allen, then next Judy and John Collins, Valerie Silk, Tom Warren, he was uh, the guy who won the second Ironman, but the reason why he was really significant was we've interviewed him on Legends, haven't we? No, we haven't, but we probably who was, should. Who was that guy? That we, we we interviewed uh, Gordon f- Haller. That's right. Uh, Tom Warren won the second one, but what made uh, uh, him really big was Sports Illustrated did like some ten-page spread on him. He sounds like a real rogue, um, interesting out there dude. Someone uh, actually emailed us. I haven't done my emails from yesterday, but someone emailed us with the original Sports Illustrated piece that kind of. Oh, that was largely around him, I think. Oh, okay. Well, there mm. you go. So um, we may put that up on the show notes for next week. And then we had Bob, La- Bob Laird in 2001. Who's f- Bob Laird? Uh, he's a doctor. I'm pretty sure he's the guy who really set up all the medical protocols. Okay. Yep. Bob Babbitt in uh, 202. Then you had John McLean, who was a physically challenged athlete, Gordon Haller and Lynn Lemire. So they were the two inaugural... Well, no, Gordon Haller won the inaugural race. Lynn Lemire was the first female. I think it was in 79. Greg Welsh, Jim McLaren was another um, physically challenged athlete. The, the Hoyts. Mike Riley, Graham Fraser, who we've had on Legends, Peter Henning, probably should get him on. He's he's he was I think the instigator of doing a lot of the dramatic Kona coverage and the stories. So he was um, I'm not sure if he was the producer or where he sort of fitted in, but was really involved involved around that. Then you had the bunch of uh, I'm not sure if they were Germans or Dutch um, uh, guys that started triangle events. It was very much WTC Europe sort of. Um, they really got Europe going with Ironman, and then you had Laurie Bowden and Heather Fewer. Laurie Bowden, I'd agree with. Heather Fewer is probably out of all of these people. I'm like, she only won Kona once. She did win a lot of other races. But then you look at Welshie. Welshie only won Kona once. It's true. He was but, but he's been a, a face for the sport. Mm. Like, yeah. I was, I, you know, like you kind of think, why isn't Melina on the list? You kind of, you know, you, when you think of what's the criteria. Also, why, why are there three or four years where it didn't happen? Or have we just not got results from those years? What years were they? Oh, well, yeah. 206, 207. Yeah, yeah, good point. Through to it's very observant of you, Bevan. Well, well done. You know me. I'm just attentive. I like detail, John. You know me. Um, but yeah, you know, like it, it is interesting. I'm not quite sure of the criteria. Like generally speaking, you go, you've got, got it right. Mm. Um, but I think you've got in this week's discussion who should be on the list. So maybe we'll kind of yes. save that to next week. So, um, but yeah, yeah, really interesting. What is the criteria? And it's obviously just people picking names, really, isn't it? Mm. You know, but. Generally speaking, you look at that list and you go, yeah, there's definitely Hall of Fame people. Mm, I would have thought like Erin Baker or the Puntos oh, sisters Baker, or someone yeah. like that. Um, so but I've got plenty of time to get her in there. Anyway, we've got to go do some interviews, Bevan. So we'll be back in one second, guys. John, we're back. And I was just listening to that last part we did there. And again, the magic of podcasting, people don't realise we've had a 40-minute gap in between. But um, what, is, it, is it Hall of Fame for Iron Man? That's my understanding. So, you know, Scott Molina... Big legend in the sport. Oh. Only won Kona once. And I'm not sure how many other Ironmans he won, actually. He, he won, won New Zealand? Few. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, no, he did. Yeah. yeah. Did he win um, Australia? But I think it's very much Kona, it's very much Kona based, isn't it? You look at yeah, those. Yeah, well, if you look at the lists here, mm. <clears throat> it's definitely Kona mm. dominant. Um, so, you know, you're going to have to get Natasha Badman in there pretty soon. Um, and people like Norman Stadler won several times. Uh, Mac yeah. is going to have to go in there. Crowey's going to have to go in there. So, so you're saying if you win it twice or more, you're kind of guaranteed a Hall of Fame? You would think so, wouldn't you? 
especially those guys like Stadler and Peter Reed, is, and they, they may be one of the couple of times they had a lot of podiums as well. Yeah. So Peter um, Reed ran it three times, didn't he? But he never won so. it twice in a row. Mm. Yeah, there was there's a thing about Peter Reed. Okay, you got a promo here, John. Yes. Got a promo code for a helicopter ride. Yeah, I, I, so I, it's just I had an email through just before. I was trying to set it up. So we went and did a helicopter ride um, a couple of years ago, and I thought, well. Um, I'm not doing it again, but I thought I, I said I'll promo. It's a cool thing to do. So it's Paradise Helicopters. They're just setting up the code, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be IM Talks. So if you want to go down and do the helicopter trip, uh, you get a 10% discount by you, using. And you go over the volcano, don't you? You do. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So uh, they, they, it's going to be a 10% discount, except for the new Ironman Route Scout Tour, whatever that is. So if you ParadiseHelicopters.com, you want to go for a helicopter trip. The main reason I was doing this, I'm running a camp over there next week, and I want to get a promo code if anybody on the camp wanted to do it and we'll extend it to you guys as well so uh, it's a cool thing to do when I did it we flew from you fly from just next to the airport we're at the airport and you go over uh, to the, the volcanoes and, and the, the, the lava is really flowing at the moment and you kind of hover over some of the, the sinkholes and you can kind of see the lava which is cool and then you go sort of around uh, around Mauna Kea and, and the, the, the big high altitudes of up there and then you drop down into the, the sort of the wet part of the island and uh, Waipu Valley and, and see all the waterfalls and stuff and come back around so it's a cool experience so if you want to do it you got a promo code okay John but the I am talk store is now reopened so for those of you who are looking at all those cool photos we're putting on our, our Facebook and, uh, and our website recently you can now go and get it and actually the email from the next guy Ben is actually he sent through a photo of him finishing Iron Man Wales was it yeah and that's a great photo he looks sharp in his Iron Man tri-suit so I am talk, I tri-suit so if you do want to get it this reads the store is reopened I'll put a link to it on www.iamtalk.me the gear is absolutely awesome guys mm. it really is it's re it's cool doesn't it yeah so ben, ben he raced over in Wales and he was giving uh, Iron Man Wales a really good plug as well so he had a really good challenging course very spectator friendly great finish uh, and then he said in terms of the he said I use the IM Talk race gear photos attached absolutely brilliant comfortable on the bike and you hardly notice you're wearing it on the run best tri suit I've ever had thanks to the guys around town who were shouting out support Kia Kaha you know who you are so you do get that little extra bit of support when you wear it on race day Talk love out there so so with the with the gear this year um uh, with this this sort of block, we've got all the gear that we had last time. So we've got bike jerseys, bike shorts, t-shirts, socks, cat, um, gloves, etc. Yes, we've got the uh, the laptop bags. I'm actually loving my laptop bag. Yeah, same uh, one away last weekend. It's good. Uh, and we just uh, it's just getting added at the moment the pink gear. So we've just got the pink jersey up there at the moment. But during this week, I just wanted to get it out there now. We will be having uh, there'll be uh, the pink tri suit, pink tri um, shorts, and and some some other pink range as well. So now, when's the shipping date for this one? When does this one cut off? Uh, I think we'll go the uh, end of October. Okay, so you got you got six weeks, and then there'll probably be probably mid no late November. Yep. you'll get the gear. So guys, check it out. I'll put a link to it on www.iamtalk.me, and you can get some cool Iam Talk gear. Okay, John, coming up this weekend, we've got a few races. We've got Ironman Maryland, we've got uh, Ironman Taiwan and Barcelona, but also you got this other race. Oh, this looks fantastic. It's called uh, Alps hyphen man.com uh, this is another of the sort of challenging races out there you know really trying to jump on that Norseman um, bandwagon now it's in Annecy which is the most beautiful part of of France we were we were there for, for epic camp fairly recently and you, you swim in the lake and then the bikers 
funky it's you've got a number of big climbs including Far, the Sem- yeah. Semnos and uh, and it's at that sort of where it's based the Semnos is a, is a really tough climb just out of Annecy I went and did it with Hal Tal um, when oh, I yeah, was over there photo, a few yeah. years ago and uh, I wasn't in my happy place it's a it's a tough solid climb so you go up over that on uh, your first climb and then you've got a series of other um, sort of half size uh, second, second first second category climbs and then the run you do 27 k's on the flat sort of three three circuits of a 10k loop and then you basically run up the Seminos as well so oh and the thing about the Seminos is you don't really start the Seminos part of the run so it's a pretty reasonably kind of flat run to about 28 k's yeah and then you run 1700 meters in the last part of the run mm. oh Frenchies have to do a great job with these races, so it should be wicked. I'm now, is this this weekend? Yes, and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure this is the inaugural one. Uh, so, in terms of a location, it's absolutely brilliant. If you wanted to go over there and actually see some of the other awesome climbs around France, but Annecy is a beautiful place, uh, one of my favourite places in France. So, hopefully, they kick this event off really well. And what I this type of event appeals more to me than Norseman. The, the, the thought of going up those sort of rocky trails and stuff, yeah, it's kind of cool, but I'm assuming with this one here, I think it'll be road running. So you can actually um, run. And so, yeah, you can run as opposed wow, to... Try to, to run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it looks really cool. It's called alps-man.com. Okay, John's sponsor. Extreme Endurance. So now, you like the buffer, John? It is. Yep. Now, guys that are going to be in Kona... We are going to have some sample packs that we'll be handing out. So if you're doing the Wetsuit Aquathon, which is going to be on Thursday morning, uh, the start of the, the Aquathon could be a little challenging based off the interview that, interview that we, we just did. It's going to be Thursday morning, meeting at 9 o'clock under oh, the big tree. Oh, because we said on Wednesday morning, didn't we? Yeah, we, we're going to do it Thursday morning this year. Oh, and they're going to have the, the start-finish mm. line-up. We'll cope, we'll cope. It's not the World Championships uh, Aquathon champs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll have some samples there. We will also be at the Blue 70 booth... Uh, uh, and we'll have some samples there, free samples, giveaway of extreme That's endurance. Um, and we will be there on Wednesday morning at around about sort of 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock. And we'll also be there, uh, give me a second. We're, we're going to be there on Wednesday morning from about 10 to 12 and Thursday we'll have the Aquathon. So those are the two times you can come along, get some free samples of Extreme Endurance, and uh, if you see us wandering around out, outside those times, I'll probably have some in my bag as well. So, so Also Rolls. when we're, we're there, we'll be having the um, blue, new Blue 70 I Am Talk caps, and we'll be giving those away, and based off your finish time. So I guess if I'm getting back to the sponsor, the reason I brought that up is Extreme Endurance. If you're over there, Get yourself a free sample. If you're going over there to race, make sure you take some with you before you go as well because uh, it will help enhance your race performance. It will buffer that lactic acid. It will make sure your legs don't get as sore during the race and also you'll feel a hell of a lot better so you can party after the race as well. Remember to use the promo code IAMTALK10 if you're buying this anywhere around the world. You get 10% discount off your order. So check it out, xendurance.com. Okay, so xendurance.com, guys. Okay, so if we look at the discussion. Last week we had a bit of a discussion. We were kind of wanted to know what do you guys think, or well, for those athletes who have done Kona in the past, what have you learned, and maybe what are some of the things that have surprised you about the course that maybe you didn't know going into the race? And we've got a few people answering this one. John, you can go first. 
Annette Lee had a great <laughs> comment in there. She, <coughs> okay. Yeah, Annette Lee, she went over and raced, was it, it was last year, I think. It was either last year or the year before. No, it was like, we were 2016. It was last year. And she went over there as part of the Legacy Program. And one of the things that really surprised her was how dark it is on the run. She was prepared for everything. Yeah. She prepared for the, the, the heat and the, the wind and all that sort of stuff, and but just wasn't prepared for just the darkness out there on the run. Which is a really good point, isn't it? Because I think I finished before it was dark. But you're on the freeway, aren't you? You're on the mm. highway. So it's like it's not well lit as in like it would be in suburban streets. Mm. You know, so yeah, I suppose that's a really good point. Yeah. Okay, uh, Nick Rose got nutrition and the heat is a massive area I struggle with. You just don't want to eat as much as your body shuts down. Overall, the heat got me in the first occasion. Didn't just You don't realise how hot it is until you stop or people tell you afterwards as you just think it's a hard day anyway. Second time, it was the wind. As Gary says, it's not overly hardcore but the elements are harder than you read about. Richard Swan's got a 10 point pre- <laughs> 11 point presentation here. Here we go. Uh, number one, I thought experience would help, but the second time was worse than my first. Number two, the heat is worse than what you can prepare for. Number three, the heat combined with the wind makes it far worse than I thought. Number four, the bike is more hilly than I thought. Number five, you can't go that fast on the descent from Harvey due to the crosswinds. Well, you can actually. You're just being a softy, Swanee. <laughs> so I was blown away last time how slow people went down there. It was reasonably windy when we were there, and people were just going crawling. I wasn't doing anything dangerous. Number six, you do get a lot of stuffing around waiting for the swim start. Number seven, the second half of the run is brutal, boring, and hot. Mm. Eight, the hell out of the energy lab is brutal. Nine, aero helmets seem to make you, you hotter and more sweaty. Ten, be prepared to walk about a kilometre after the race to get to massage. <laughs> and eleven, the post-race uh, is a pain, especially if Dino Gaskin tells his wife, who was driving you, not to worry about you. <laughs> <laughs> I do think the post-race area has improved in the years that we've been there. Yeah. It's, it's still a bit of a, tr- a trick. It's just geography of it to get across. But I think they have started to up their game in terms of... Um, the food and just the whole setup there. You moved first. You went there. It was pretty Mickey Mouse, wasn't it? They are. It's unfortunate because there's just not much space, which doesn't help them as well. Um, Arnold Slivakov. Is that his name? Yeah. Yep. Um, the dynamic of the race is very different than other races. The swim is always feeling like you're in a big fruit bowl, big fight until halfway through, and then the first 60Ks of the bike a much harder pace than any other Ironman race which call for a change in training beforehand. The last 40k of the bike are hard because always in a fierce headwind and be sure not to miss the last aid station as there is still 20k to go afterwards. And I always find that the out and back on a Leahy drive with the succession of gentle up and downs really taxing. Polini is uh, Polani is also a killer and running the whole way can be a big mistake. Alihi is just the hardest I think. Brian Dunn, how hot the first 10k the run is along Ali'i Drive. It can be baking down there. Okay, Rob Grace has got nothing on the, about the courses. It was a surprise. But it does surprise me every time I race there how many people ride like idiots, i.e. sprint past you up out of the saddle and then sit down right in front of you. Happens all the time in Kona, but not very much in any other races I've done. I think like a lot of other people have posted on here, I think the first time I raced, what surprised me... and. Uh, Granted, I was racing in the in the pro division then. Not that I was really good enough to be racing pro, but got there. You earned that slot by my tenth place finish at Ironman New Zealand, uh, and 
just the pace is just full on on the bike. I had, I think I had an okay swim there, but racing the pros, I was just getting blitzed, and not just a little bit blitzed, just getting spanked like you wouldn't believe. Mm. And I went through 60k. I remember going through 60k and. I looked at my watch and I thought, bloody hell, man, that's a pretty respectable time and I'm getting drilled. Uh, second time round, um, there probably wasn't that many surprises. I think there's lots of challenges out there. I think the main thing for me is still we haven't unlocked the, 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 the door in terms of uh, getting race nutrition right an iron distance race in Kona. I've got it sorted for the half and had some really good results, but just the challenge of getting that nutrition right on race day and getting the fluid balance right is, uh, is still unknown. What surprises me from standing on the sidelines is how insanely hard people go up Palani Hill mm. when you're 15k or 10 miles or so into the bike ride. It's not just a little bit hard. You know, you shouldn't really be going above FTP on that climb. You see people going up there out of the seat, munching it. They will be near, near maximum effort. Mm. And it just blows me away every year. So I think that's probably, probably the most surprising thing. For me, I think, you know, Gary and a few other people really kind of it, Coda's not a hard course. In no. any other place in the world, it'd be a, it'd be a stupidly fast course, wouldn't it? You, mm. you know, it's a little bit up and down, but not really. It's kind of long flats. Mm. It's just the, the conditions, you know, the heat and the wind. And if you get a windy year, the year I did it, it got an extremely windy year. And, you know, if you get those those conditions, that's the hard thing about this race is how do you prepare for that? Mm. And for most people in, in most places in the world, you just can't. Mm. And so it's that's the challenging thing is how do you prepare your body for a race in conditions that you're probably never going to experience in your home environment. And that's the, the, the downfall of this race. And then the second thing that you've kind of brought up there is because it's the world championships, people almost get a bit silly and they don't Everyone's necessarily... Everyone's racing. Yeah. They're, they're racing rather than being conservative. But if anything, this is probably the most important race because of the conditions that you actually want mm. to stick to a really wise plan and just allow those around you to do what they want to do, trusting that, you know... Now, if you're trying to win your age group, different story. If you're a pro trying to do really well, different story. But most people there in the race, if you still just race a really wise strategy around your ability and your conditioning, you're going to have a better day than responding to what's happening around you. So, yeah, for me, those are, those are the key things. And you see it every year, as you say, people flying up, you know, those hard climbs or, mm. you know, people, you just think, Jesus, you can't maintain that for the whole race. And, Absolutely. And, and they don't, John. Oh, <laughs> a lot of them don't. Except for Miranda Carfrey, when I saw her running one year at the start of the run, I thought, no way she's going to keep that up. She did. My God, did she what? Oh, I love watching Miranda run. Mm. It's it's special. Mm. You know, it certainly it's is. Very special. Okay, uh, this week's discussion, John. Well, this week's discussion, we're going to be talking a little bit about what we were talking about early on, is who should we get into the Ironman Hall of Fame? So when you think about this, and, and maybe... Should they expand it as well? You know, should they expand it outside of Kona, you know? Because there's lots of people who would never get into Hall of Fame based on the fact that if we look at the history of it so far, it does seem to be a bit Hawaii-dominated. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a few Euro guys who, you know, would mm -hmm. never get... You know, who was the guy we had on... Rob Barrow. Rob um, Barrow, yeah. Was, was, was a great athlete. Uh, Pauli Kuru uh, never won Kona, but he was he was there or thereabouts, but, but won loads of other races uh, around the world. Like the question is, do you think we'll ever see an athlete? Has there an athlete on here who hasn't won Kona on the list? No, no. So Not do you think there'll ever side. be a Hall of Fame athlete who's not a Kona winner? 
I would probably say no, but you know, again, like a Cameron Brown who's won 11 New Zealands or however many it is, Marino, uh, who has put in some of the fastest times in the world, uh, Andreas Raylert, you know, he had the world record there until it got broken last year. Um, so, yeah, there are some, some names on there, but I still think they've got to work through the, yeah, the Kona winners. The ones. And, uh, yeah. Okay, well, there you go. So, who should be in the Kona or the Ironman World Hall of Fame. Okay, John, we've got a few interviews coming up, and the first John did really well. We, we actually got a few of the race directors from I mean World Championships. Yes. So yeah, we just wanted to see what's what happens. They're, they're, from here on in, they're going to be very very busy. So we wanted to make sure we captured them before that time comes up and find out a bit more about what happens behind the scenes. So here we go. We've got Cindy Armour, we've got Jason Braswell, and Laura Varney. So here they go. So guys, we had uh, a number of requests from you listeners to, to try to hear from some of the athletes, behind, well not the athletes, some of the organisers behind the scenes. The important Kona. people, John. Yes. So we've got a few of them lined up. They're sitting in the, the Kona office and we've actually, we're, we're doing this now because we know that these guys are going to be extremely busy from, from next week onwards. So first up, we've got the registration director, uh, Cindy Armour. So Cindy, welcome along to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Tell us about um, about what your sort of role is within the, the organisation and, and whether this is something you just do as a, as a volunteer basis and, and if it is, what you do outside of uh, helping out at Ironman. Thank you. I'm the registration director for Ironman and I do it as a volunteer. And outside of this, I do volunteer work for other organisations, well, including the Honu, the Half Ironman, and the Lava Man, and I help with the Canoe Club, and I am and the chairperson for a program for fifth grade girls. How, how long have you been doing the role, and, and what got you into the role? Oh, those are good questions. I started coming to the Big Island in the late 80s when my sister moved here, and I saw the sign by the pier that marks the start and the finish of the Iron Man. And so I started to learn a little bit about the Ironman. And when my husband and I retired in 2001, we decided we wanted to spend our time volunteering. And so we signed up to volunteer for Ironman. And we really didn't know that much about it. So we signed up for everything and, that we could. And we got to do six different jobs. I got six different shirts that day. <laughs> and the job that I really decided I loved the most was registration. What, what was it that, that you enjoyed about it? Um. I, I, I love the opportunity to have the one-on-one -on -one with the athletes, and I loved spending time with these other volunteers who were willing to give so much time to the athletes. Yeah. And I also found that uh, I used to be a, well, I knew, I used to be an elementary school principal, and I loved the opportunity to work with these other volunteers to help make registration a wonderful place for athletes. So, so what's the deal with registration in terms of the number of um, volunteers that you, you, you need for that role? Well, registration and body marking work together. Mm -hmm. So we have, I, this year I have 290 volunteers wow. signed up to help for both of those. And in registration, I probably have about 150 people. We have many people who keep returning because they love the opportunity to work together with the other volunteers. And as I said, they love the one-on-one -on -one that we get to spend time with. We get to spend that time with the athletes. Now, do you guys, is it hard to get volunteers? And where do the volunteers come from? 
I am not having any trouble getting volunteers. I started working on it in June, right after we finished with the Honu, with the Half Iron Man, and I checked the website and that we have, the Iron Man website, and I email all the people who volunteered the year before, and I close registration for registration the beginning of July. Oh, wow. So I get <laughs> I have many people returning, but also the families of the family members of the athletes love to come and help with body marking at the start of the race day. So, so what, what, what sort of proportion of them are, are locals, locals yeah. versus um, people that are coming to the Big Island for the event? Hmm. I haven't really thought about that, but I would say most of my volunteers for registration are, are Big Island people. Yeah. And most of the volunteers for body marking are people who come just for that. Cool. I mean, they come because they are here for the, the event, Support. and then they want to help with that. Um, now, we obviously, from the athlete's point of view, you know, the way that we see it, we just queue up and we turn up and we get our race bag, and then we walk away and we we get focused on our, on our race. How does the week sort of unfold for you, and, and how much time is spent between, you know, you mentioned closing registration in July and, and you've got the race in, in just under two weeks' time. What's sort of the timeline for you in terms of preparing for the event? Thank you. I have had I have five different people who started working in August putting the labels on the transition bags. We have five different bags, two transition, we have the two special foods, and we have the pre-swim bag. So five different people spent time on their own putting those labels on 2,450 bags. And last week I had 12 different volunteers come in and take some of the swim caps home with them so they can number the swim caps in their leisure. And then today is the start of our work with Ironman, with registration. We at in about a half an hour, the boxes that are here in the warehouse will be delivered to the registration rooms at the hotel. And I have about 40 people coming in starting tomorrow to do the prep work. We have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday set aside at the hotel so that they can get materials ready. Then next Monday, we'll have about 100 people there, and half of them will be stuffing the athlete envelopes, and the other half will be stuffing the athlete swag bags. And then starting on Tuesday next week, we have registration, and we'll have that Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Friday, we have the uh, training for the body markers who haven't applied tattoos before, and then Friday afternoon we'll set up for body marking. Then Saturday morning we'll do body marking starting at 4.45, and we'll be done with a lot of our work by the time everybody else gets started. <laughs> you, know, with, with the, you know, the increased kind of need of security in today's world, you know, like for the media we have a no-bag policy now. What, what, what's changed for you guys over the years? For security? Well, just, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, in general. But yeah, security in, in general, what's kind of changed? How's this evolved for you guys? Probably the biggest for us is that my volunteers can't bring in anything except for very, very small little fanny packs or we actually encourage them to use pockets. And the athletes are screened much more carefully so that they can't bring anything in with them either when they come. They can bring in their... They, they drop off their special foods bags, and then when they come in, they're bringing just their swim cap and what they're going to need for the race. Wow. Is, is there anything else about the race or the registration side of things that, that, that's a really big, important part of your role that us outsiders might kind of take for granted? 
Hmm. Well, probably the last thing I can think of that I'd like to just mention about registration is our goal in there in the room, when the athlete enters the room, is we want them to fill out the paperwork that we want. And it's a very important paperwork, the emergency medical card and, and the waivers. And we look at it that that's what we really want. And then we send them over to the tables where they get the packets with all the all that they need for the race. So it's what they really want. And then they get their nice swag bag and they can leave the room. And um, we just really enjoy our time with them. And we work real hard to make it a very short time because we know they really don't want to spend their day in registration. What satisfies you most about doing this? Pardon me? What satisfies you most about doing this? Um, I love it because every year I feel like we get better and better at serving our athletes, helping them get what they need, take care of them, and um, just making it a nice part of their their event. And I love working with the volunteers hmm. who work real hard to figure out better ways to make it work. So, so once everybody's um, got their body marking, what do you do for the rest of the day? Well, my husband and I and a little crew of people pelletize everything we have at body marking, and then we work really hard to get across the road before the first biker comes, before the first swim transitions to a bike, because we actually run an aid station for our canoe club. And so we need to get down there so we can run our aid station. And we get there at 9 o'clock in the morning for that, and we're done about 8.30 or 9 at night. Just so, yeah. Get to see all the athletes as they come through do, our aid stations. Just, just uh, you know, because uh, you guys are dealing with people who are on their, their big day, um, and, and I imagine there's a bit of stress around a lot of people. Um, do you ever? What's has it to deal with that? You know, that person who is probably a little bit stressed, who maybe bringing bad energy to your situation. How do you guys deal with that? How do we deal with somebody who is stressed? Yeah, because you know, you know, I imagine you get a lot of people who. Or there's an aspect of what you do is dealing with people who are coming with demands that are, you know, coming from a stressful place. Uh, how do you guys deal with those types of people? With a big smile. <laughs> <laughs> well, I and uh, some of our co coordinators, we work real hard to assign jobs to the other people or let them select. I don't assign them, actually. I let them select which jobs they want to do. And then we are there to help the people who have special needs. And one of the things I always say about organizing something is I love organizing things and then see what really happens. Yeah. And so those people have special special requests, special needs are the people that were there to really help that day. Fantastic. In, in registration or in body marking. Great. We love the work you do, Cindy, and um, we know uh, it's it may be sometimes a thankless t job you do, so uh, hopefully we've enlightened a few of our listeners as to, to what goes on behind the scenes. If we can, um, if we, and, and well done on, uh, on keeping that aid station rolling as well with the Canoe Club because I know from an athlete's point of view, <coughs> the aid stations are fantastically well run over there in Kona. So nice work. If we can, if we can get passed Thank over to, um, to Jason, it would be awesome. Certainly can. Thank you very much for your time. Okay. <laughs> Hey guys, Jason. So we've got Jason Braswell, who's the the run director, which probably sees uh, outside of the medical tent the most carnage on the course. <laughs> um, tell us, Jason, a, a bit like Cindy. What's your sort of nine to five, and and how did you get involved in in this uh, organisation? Uh sure. I uh, my nine to five. My wife and I own a Big Island Running Company here in Kona, oh. so uh, you know, especially running store. So. 
when they needed somebody to take over for a run volunteer, um, I think I was the, I, I was at least a, a um, reasonable target. And uh, I've been, you know, obviously uh, spent a lot of time working on races over the years. And when you've got one of the biggest races in the world in your backyard, it's you just get drawn to it. There's a lot of those Big Island uh, t-shirts written, um, floating all, in all corners of the world. What, what's the, the sort of the, the organisational hierarchy of the um, of, of of your role? So you're the, the guy that's in charge overall of the run the run course. But what are your sort of the, the, maybe the titles of the main people below you? Because you've got quite a bit going on with aid stations and medical. How do you kind of work as a team? Well. Yeah, we do that different than some races do. We have, so I'm the run course director. There's a separate director for aid stations, mm-hmm. and and thank God for that because you know, <laughs> as you guys, that's just a hugely complex job. So, and 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 there's a separate director for medical, and uh, so my focus is really on just getting the course figured out, getting the course set up, making sure everybody's making the right turns, you know, that type of stuff. Um, so being able to be focused on that is, uh, is, is very helpful to me. Uh, I don't know how, you know, if, if I was in charge of stations too, that would be a, uh, that would be quite a task. So, so on race day, what time of the day does your day start? And then t- kind of talk us through what will happen for a race day for you? Sure. Um, my day starts, well, it, you know, here in Kona, it's, uh, it's a little bit rushed because we can't really start setting up the run course until the last bikes get out of town. Oh, okay. um, you know, yeah. leave Kona do the Kuakini loop. So what we do is as soon as that last bike leaves town, well, I guess Prior to that, we can set up one of the intersections. We set up the uh, intersection of Ali'i Drive and Hualalai. Um, but, but again, we can't do that until fairly late in the game because of road closures. Um, you know, we have to let everybody uh, be able to get through while the roads are still open, and we leave those o- roads open as late as we can so people can watch the swim and then go home if they like. But... Um, yeah, so basically as soon as the last bikes leave town, we scramble, we get the intersections uh, set up, and then as soon as we get the intersection set up, I actually start running the whole course on a moped and uh, make sure that, you know, everything, I mean, y- y- you wouldn't believe some of the things that happened. So, you know, one year I was doing that, and we had a um, one of the portable toilets right in the middle of the run course, um, so we have to get moved, you know, I mean, all, you know, you, you never know what's going to happen, but, um, so basically I go run the, I, I drive the whole course and then I get back to, usually I get back into town and catch up with the front of the race just about the time the men's leader is coming back into town. So around mile 10. And then I, I try to watch the front of the race as much as I can because, as you guys know, in the race, if you get the front guy going the right way, everyone follows him. Yeah. And, and what and, about uh, as, as the day evolves in terms of um, 
dealing with with traffic and stuff as you get further into the race is it is it full closure down Ali'i Drive all the way through the race or do you start to slowly open that up well we do uh that that's that's something that's kind of evolved over the years we there's one lane of Ali'i Drive is closed all day Hmm. uh and it's closed until our very last runner leaves Ali'i Drive uh which is uh off the top of my head, probably around eight o'clock, mm-hmm. and um, so so that so that one lane is closed. We've actually tightened it where the other lane is like for local traffic only, mm-hmm. and so it, it cuts down on the traffic. But I mean, Elite Drive does have some traffic on it during the day. Mm-hmm. What, what about if you have issues, and, and this may be beyond your your role, but I'm really interested to know how, as an organisation, you deal with emergency situations, because in Kona it probably happens a, a bit more than, than other races. There's complete carnage out there on the run. And, you know, say, for example, if someone had some issues and they were between an aid station um, and they collapse or whatever, what's the actual chain of events that happens when when someone collapses on the run course and uh they can't they can't carry on you know you can't have medical people every single spot of the run so what actually happens in that circumstances and and, and is that part of your role yeah well i mean it definitely it definitely is part of my role in that you know the volunteers in my group have to be trained to handle that situation Mm -hmm. because as you guys pointed out that's something that definitely occurs Mm. um Typically, what we do is we call. We have a uh, a race operations center that's kind of the nerve center coordinating between the different groups. So they would call that in, and then medical would evaluate that, and you know what what medical assets are near that point. Because as you guys point out, they, you know, we we have medical staged at some locations, but obviously they can't be everywhere, and uh, also. When we're in, you know, peak carnage mode, obviously medical got to triage, and you know, in some years it does hit peak carnage mode. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's all it's all kind of it's all run through there, um, and it's all yeah, it's 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 exciting. <laughs> what, what, what would you say? Maybe a, maybe a couple of the biggest lessons you've learned in this role. Uh, I I. I think just, you know, flexibility. Um, It was kind of like Cindy was saying about you make a plan and then you watch to see how it goes wrong. Um, But you have to bake that in. It's kind of strange, but you have to make a plan for for what happens when your plan doesn't work. Um, And that's, you know, I think the biggest challenge that we have on the run course is just because it's so big. You know, if we have a problem happening at the turnaround in Elite Drive and I'm in the energy lab, it's going to take a while to get there and you're going to have to come up with a more creative solution for how to handle it, you know. Um, and maybe just tell us, um, you know, in terms of your, your day, you know, you said it really kicks off big time um, once the, the first bike is uh, through through town. Um, are you pretty much uh, then, you know, you're, you're on site nervous until, uh, until midnight? Is that pretty much when you start to wrap things up? 
Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, for me, uh, obviously, the first part of the race, getting those first finishers through successfully is a big uh, a big point of, uh, that we're paying attention to. And uh, once that's gone successfully, hopefully, we uh, breathe a big sigh of relief, relief because, again, the people behind them are just kind of, they can follow along with the crowd. Um then we kind of hit the peak area, you know, kind of the bell curve of the finishers. And that's a point that I pay a lot of attention to because that's when, you know, the traffic stresses our course the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we're out there really paying attention to those last finishers <laughs> and uh, getting every, you know, focusing on getting everybody in safe. Because uh, I, I, if you guys have ever been out on the Queen Karen and the Energy Lab, uh, you know, about 10 or 11 o'clock at night, it's kind of a weird place. Yeah. Well, um, how many people do you typically pull off the course in terms of um, not being able to make the cutoff times during the run? Um, you know, that's something that, that's highly variable. Um, it depends on, it, it really depends on how tough the swim and the bike were. Mm. Um, I mean, definitely we have on, on the years that turn out to be, you know, quote, hard bike years, we have, uh, a lot more people. And in the years that are, you know, easier quote, quote, easier years, we pull almost nobody, but I'd say on average, maybe a half dozen. Is that hard to do? Oh, it's very hard to do. Um, and you know, that's, that's actually probably one of the hardest parts of my job, uh, because there becomes a time, well, there's two points there. Number one, there becomes a time when it's clear that the person is not going to be able to make the, the finish time. And that of course can happen fairly early in their, their run. Um, it, you know, and we just I like to open a dialogue with them and, and figure out what they're figure out what they're thinking and you know where they are mentally and physically and, and kind of address it from that. There's a flip side too where once it gets past a certain point in the race, we're getting to the point where we have to reopen the roads mm-hmm. and then we have to get people off to we you know we, we have to get people off um, for safety purposes. And, and that one's always a little more challenging. Mm. Awesome. Okay, we, we've got to give you get your your shop another a plug. So where, whereabouts can people find um, Big Island Running? Sure, we're uh, we're on Elite Drive, right in the heart of the madness, uh, Coconut Grove in Kona. Fantastic. I'll come along and see. Well, you probably won't be there in race week, but uh, we'll make sure we come come on in. So that's awesome. Thanks, Jason, and uh, love the shop and uh, love your commitment to the race as well. If we can get Laura on for our wrap-up, that would be awesome. Great. Thanks, guys. Hi, this is Laura. Hey, so we've got Laura Varney here, the Finish Line Director. Um, much like the other other guys we've had on, tell us a bit about yourself and uh, and what your what your nine to five is and and how you got into this role. Okay, so um, I have been Finish Line um, Director for the last few years, but I've been involved with Ironman since two thousand. Um, got involved because I used to own a tile store and a forklift and Rocky Campbell when he was involved with construction asked to borrow it one year and somehow I got finagled into helping with cleanup 
that year, and now we're 16, 17 years later, and I'm the Finnish line director. <laughs> so what, what does your role entail? Because we see the, the Finnish line getting erected on, uh, on Friday, I think it is, and then we obviously see the, the seats sort of getting put in there, and we obviously know on race day you've got the announcers and media and stuff, but what, what does the Finnish line's director's role actually entail? Is it just the construction side, or what else do you have to manage? Um, I'm going to put a quick plug to my nine to five because I didn't mention that. Um, yes. So in real world, I am the CEO for Hospice of Kona, which is a completely different um, than what I'm doing here. And that's on purpose. So I, I volunteer to do something that's very different than my real job, unlike Jason. Yeah. Um, so the finish line actually starts going up as soon as the underpants run is over on Thursday morning. Um, roads are closed for that, and uh, we hit the ground running Thursday morning. So construction of media tower and media bleachers and the big jumbotron that goes up there, and then the finish line arch all start um, Thursday morning. And from Thursday morning, about 9 o'clock until 1 o'clock Sunday morning, I spend almost 20-plus hours on that blacktop every day. <laughs> And, and, and you're managing um, not just the construction, but are you sort of managing all the other operations in terms of the, the media, in terms of the, the, um, the, the commentators and, and all that sort of stuff as well? Um, managing, not quite the right word, but aware of and, and sort of focusing on how do I get what I need to get done with all of those other parts and pieces there that... The, the public and the, the crowds are a huge part of what makes this race so incredible. So making sure that their experience is good, but also that they're safe, um, that they're in safe places, that they're not zones where they're going to get um, injured and, and coordinating that. Um, the media is a world all of their own, but um, attempting to not get in their way, but making sure that they are also where they need to be when they need to be and that the other people aren't in the way. Um, all of that happening with who I am actually managing is the, the volunteers and my people um, on the ground trying to, again, make that experience good. So a lot of people in a very small space. Mm. How, how, how do you manage that? Because I imagine there's a lot of um, you know spectators and supporters who want to be at that place at a very certain time. And it is, it's not a very kind of big space isn't it and so there's kind of the I imagine the demand of the times how do you kind of make sure you keep on top of that side of the game um it it's keeping your eyes open all the time you know our, our we we do barricades and banners and things that try to corral um and it often feels like that's what we're doing is we're corralling people and directing them into certain places um, but it's really, you know, the, the safety you mentioned earlier, the difference in security, the, the safety is number one all the time, is making sure that where people are standing, that they're safe. And that, that really is just a matter of um, multitasking all the time, watching and, and, and then moving when you have to move. So being aware. Um, is, is the biggest thing. And, and Bevan asked this question before um, uh, to Cindy about the, the security and, and the, the, how that's had to change over the last few years. So w what has changed since obviously the, the terrible incidents in, in Boston? You know, what, what have you had to, to, to bring into your game plan and maybe what advice have you got for people that are actually going to be going down to spectate on race day? Um, you know, the, it, it has changed 
drastically. I, ca- I can't even bring up in my own mind what it used to look like because it, it used to be chaotic and, and I feel like it's not chaotic anymore as a result of this. Um, you know, the security and the bags not being allowed there and everybody really, you know, looking at the safety aspect of it is, to me, it's fantastic. Um, because my, my family worries about me being in that spot. And so being able to say, you know, we're doing everything that we can to um, not let an incident happen by making everybody aware of it and being on everybody's mind. But it, it's made it a much more peaceful and less chaotic place because of the pre-planning and the things that we have in place. Um, and the only time that's an issue is when we have that person, as I think you said before, that is stressed mm-hmm. and, and is under a time crunch and wants to get somewhere that they can't get mm-hmm. because of our safety measures. Um, and just keeping in mind during that time that these things are in place so that we can all be safe and, and then it's okay. And there, in some ways, you're in the best point of the race. You know, you get to see that celebration moment for all the athletes. But how much are you actually able to enjoy that, or are you kind of so consumed of the environment of the day that you don't actually get to see much of that? You were breaking up, but I think what you were asking me is how how do I enjoy it? Well, um, yeah, and, you and know, do you get, do you get to enjoy Conan, it? I, we do, you know, and, and and it's funny. It's one of those things that I think it's a calling for us volunteers in the same way that it is for athletes. Um, it's a huge challenge um, and a privilege to be a part of the back end of this. And so, so for me, the enjoyment comes out of we plan for something, we have a plan B, it doesn't work out, but we have a lot of success on the back end. We have a lot of success and things work um, really well. We have a lot of excess and, and privilege in, in wearing the Iron Man logo and, and being a part of something that is just so huge. Um, and, and to be able to make this happen, um, that that's what I find enjoyment in. Um, we get the stories that come from both the athletes, but really from the volunteers. Um, I just I grin about that all the time. We're already getting it. I get every day I get an email where a volunteer tells me why they're volunteering for me and what this means to them and and that's incredible it's a lot of fun to be a part of that and to see that side of it have you, have you had any um any sort of near misses or any near near terrible experiences that you've just managed to avert or any any sort of funny stories that you've had from the last few years on the finish line um i i would think uh one of my favorite um only in the after while it was happening it wasn't my favorite and it wasn't fun but Um, We had a situation several years ago where uh, our last few boxes of Lay's that we opened were moldy and we couldn't give them out. (laughs) And and so it was a, you know, figure out plan B. And we ran back and forth between post-race and the finish line to grab medals so that we could still give the athletes something as they came through and um, passing them and, and doing sort of a train relay to get them there in time so no one crossed that finish line without being greeted with that um afterwards it's hysterical when i think about it you know 11 o'clock at night when we're exhausted and we're running and i don't run i am not an athlete (laughs) (laughs) so in my mind that's one of the funny i would have loved to have seen it on tape because i had to have looked hysterical (laughs) 
Um, maybe just tell us finally a little bit about the um, the after party because we have the uh, you know Ironman race on Saturday. You have then the um, the awards sort of ceremony and an athlete party on Sunday, and then Monday uh, you have a, a ginormous party. Yeah, the the Mahalo party for the volunteers on Monday night. Um, it, it, it's an incredible experience to be able to stand up there as a director and, and thank this huge crowd of people that that have helped us do it. Um, for me, I would say the, the biggest thing is it's extremely emotional. By that point, we're, we are also exhausted and very emotional and very teary-eyed, but it's very heartfelt. Um, it just is a, a great way to say thank you um, to these people that go out there and, and, and do that. Um, and at that point, we've met a lot of them, and we know their stories, and, and there's a lot of hugging going on through that crowd of, of people thanking us for letting them volunteer, which is amazing. That, that's always amazing to me. Do you know off the top of your head roughly how many volunteers there are across the board for the race? I believe it's over 5,000. Yeah. yeah, and and that's only the ones you know that actually put their name on a piece of paper. There's a whole lot of others that that don't put on the Iron Man sh- shirt, but help in a number of different ways also. So yeah, the community does. The community puts it on and puts up with it because the traffic began this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we know what that traffic gets like. So awesome. Well, thank you very much, Laura, and thanks to the others again. You know, we really want to make sure that you guys get highlighted for the fantastic work that, oh, that you so do. Important. Um, and yeah, there's more more volunteers than there is uh, than there is athletes participating. So we want to know that you make sure that you guys know that you're appreciated, and uh, hopefully the listeners have found out a bit more about what goes on behind the scenes. So thank you to all three of you, and uh, please pass on our thanks to all your other volunteers as well. Thank you. Thank you. I can't really imagine how fatigued you, you and I've been talking about a big Saturday nights. <laughs> imagine how you know you know when you've had a really hard thing where there's that kind of thing of the moment afterwards where it's relief but also satisfaction. Yeah. But in a, in a state of fatigue, mm-hmm. you know. Imagine you know like all the people who are racing in an Ironman are going to experience that anyway. But also these people here, man, it's a full-on day. Yeah. Well, full on few months go check out Big Island Running Company with Jason it's a cool shop and they've got cool t-shirts there if you want to get something that's not you know necessarily I am branded all the time um, they've got some cool stuff in there and sometimes some cool deals as well that is interesting when we think about volunteers so basically for every athlete there's at least two, two volunteers crazy yeah yeah. that is crazy isn't it it is and they, but they do a bloody good job it's yeah? interesting these people aren't in paid roles either yeah no I mean I, I don't I don't think there's that many people in paid roles over there. There you have, you know, your race director and 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 some some office staff, but the rest is yeah. um, is is very much uh, volunteers. So, yeah, but they get, get as, as I said, yeah, it's it's incredible when we had um, Cindy there saying that she's um, fill up by July. It's like oh, right. <laughs> like basically three or four weeks, and she's filled it up. Yeah, so that's fantastic. But um, have you ever? Vol- no, you wouldn't have volunteered. Not in Kona. Not no, in Kona. No. A friend of mine has, and they loved it. They did. They did the finish line years ago, and because mm-hmm. uh, they're going to support a friend, they did the finish line. They said, That'd be great, like oh, hand, handing out medals and stuff. And yeah. uh, I know Annette Lee, who's going over there this year, they're, they're volunteering for a couple of um, sessions through the week. So if you're going there for as in a support capacity, there is um, quite a few opportunities to do it. So 
And you can do different different roles, do that something different each day. You know, registration one day, body marking another day, aid station, finish line, whatever. And and it's often in little blocks. Like I know that she's maybe doing say a a, a two to six block and yeah. stuff like that. So it's not too demanding, is it? Yeah, mm. they, they kind of spread it out quite fairly. John, let's do sponsor. Sponsor. Okay, Jumbo. Athlinks. Athlinks.com. Keep all your results in one place. Be like Tim Reid, the current uh, world seventy point three champion. Seventy point three champion. Oh, by G Smuggler. Yeah. So if you go back, you asked, uh, I think it was last week, I was giving poor old Tim Reid a hard time, yep. um, saying he hasn't done anything in Kona in 2014, finished in 21st place. So you, you were just justifying your answer. You're, yep. you're basically just beating him up more. Yeah. He's the world champion, John. Swam 51, biked four We had that year, didn't we? It was our fault. Yes, and ran 310. So if he'd pulled out two two. 50, 20 minutes quicker, 8.24, probably be in, be in the reckoning. Sebastian Keenlay went 8.14. If he'd gone 8.24, he would have finished in 8th place. 8th yeah, eighth or ninth place. So there you go, Tim. Work on that running, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Sharpen up, mate. Sharpen You're only up. the world champion. That's one of the cool things you can go on here. And uh, he, the reason I bring up Tim Reid is because he's the first athletics finisher on... Uh, First Ironman finished for 2014 on Athlinks, which is a great effort. And then you can Pull click up some of his other results. And you can click on this. I'm just doing What, what right percentage now. wise is he? Has he got a marathon time? No, he's not. He's only got half, half Ironman's Olympics and Ironman's. Oh, I'd love to know what he's he got marathon, on then. here a uh, 59 races, 3,817 miles of racing. 25th of June 2016. He's just done the Pacific Crest Sports Festival. Did 408 over in Oregon. He did uh, the VNG Ironman 70.3 in Vietnam, finished fourth. Ironman Australia, he won Ironman Australia this year. He's had a good year. He's had a great year. Yeah. It's a big year for him, and, and that's why I think he's going to win Kona. That's my prediction. That's your Tim prediction. Reed, you take it. Fredino, who's yeah. he? What's he done? He might be the fastest. He might have a gold medal. He might be the world champion, but hey, Tim Reid, he's going to listen to John. He's going to run a little bit faster. Come on, Reedy. 2014, he only finished seventh at the world champs in Mont-Tremblant. And then, uh, so it's a good sign. He finished seventh there and didn't do so well in Kona in 21st. This year he's first in Who's the best Australian right now? Is Australian? Australia. Australia. Oh, well, you got Tim Tim Burkle, you got uh, Luke McKenzie, and then you say Tim Reid, you got David Dallow. They don't uh, have the dominant characters right now, do they? Not dominant, dominant, but when you got the world 70.3 champ, that's yeah, pretty dominant. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tim Reid's the man. So, yeah. Great stuff, Tim. And that's the thing for Tim. You know, a lot of these other results I wouldn't have known about. I didn't know he did the Pacific Crest Sports Festival. I didn't know he did uh, the Cobra Energy 70.3 result, uh, effort. Uh, and so you can just go through there and see all his results. Challenge Bahrain, he got third, 3.39. So you can go back and get people's athletic history. So Tim was the um, the first finisher over there in Athlinks in 2014. It's a good effort. I'm just trying to see who was, uh, who was second and who was our first female. Who's the first female girl on? Athlinks.com, guys. So if you aren't on Athlinks and you want to check it out, go to athlinks.com. You just sign up there. It's all very easy. Uh, then from there, you'll just basically go on and uh, you can claim all your results forever. Matt Russell was 23rd. Daniel Stablitsky. Stablitsky. He was the first age grouper. Oh, I just pressed back too many times, Bevan. Uh, Daniel Stablitsky was the first female. There we go. Sebastian Keenlay was first. Then we had uh, Tim Reid, 21st, was our first Athlinks finisher. Second Athlinks finisher was Ant Antonio Ferreira de Silva Neto from Brazil. 
mm, was our second times. one. And then Alistair cared a little bit easier was our third one. On the female side of things, do, do, do. wasn't, oops, no gender, yeah, gender, yeah, overall. It's a great podcast then. I know it is. Should, my, my preparation this week is immaculate. What was your six Ps? I know. Well, I just saw, I've got these interviews all lined up. I well, here, on, on our Facebook page, Peter Thorthias is looking awesome in his try am Talk suit. Yes. It's looking awesome. Very nice. I've never worn a try suit, John. Maybe we should get you get you one. Yeah, we don't really do triathlon much now. Come on, <laughs> girls, pick up your game. Goodness, I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Sonia Week was uh, the first athletics finisher. She was second in the 35 to 39 age group in 10, 12. And the Guys, next one. Don't ever email us on our Facebook page. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to get replies very no, quick. No, email Morgan, us. I'm talking at, g- at Gmail. Morgan Han- uh, Anderson was second in 10, 18, and third was Jana Richtrova. And third and ten twenty one. Athlinks.com. Keep all your results in one place. That was sensational. <laughs> Athlinks.com. Okay, there's a guy called Bill Burr who's my favourite comedian right now. I love Bill Burr, and he's got a podcast called The Monday Morning Podcast. And he's gold when he reads out his sponsors because he'll just shit on them. Oh, really? <laughs> like sometimes he goes, "What are you? What are you guys doing?" Like he just absolutely shit. Like if he doesn't believe them, he'll just actually take them to bits. <laughs> yeah. like paying him. Oh, I do love it. Okay, um, okay, we're gonna interview another interview with the legend that is the geek Dawson. He's on. He's got his latest try, um, Kona report coming out, which mm. you can now get at tryrating.com, and you're about to hear about that. All right, here is Dawson. Okay, guys, we've, it's kind of countdown time, as you've heard earlier in the show, and that means we need to know who statistically is going to be in the game. And if you're going to be watching the race on uh, next weekend, uh, we've got a 120-page report on everything you need to know about the pro races. And uh, you kind of hope that Ironman would do something like this, but they don't. And you're often sitting there watching the race and... Uh, not knowing what the hell people are all about, you know. I think we all know that you know that the big favourite is going to be um, Jan Fredino, and we know little bits and pieces about some of the other favourites. But uh, if you want to know about all the athletes, this is pretty much the only place to, to get it. Uh, Torsten's try rating report for Kona 2016, and we've got Torsten on the line. So welcome back to the show. Hey guys, good to have you on the line again, and happy to chat about everything that's going on around Kona. So we, we talk to you most years, but give, but give us a um, a rundown on on what you put into a 120 page uh, report about Kona. Well, basically, it's like 100 pages, just boring results and everything. So um, <laughs> most of it's just fluff. No, I, actually, I left out the previous results because that was taking up way too much space in the in the report, and it would have gotten even even larger than it is now. Um, yeah, what's in there? I mean, there's a lot of stuff about the previous years. Um, the course that's out there, then I have the start list, um, a lot of the predictions and uh, looks at how the race might unfold, where each athlete's strengths and weaknesses are, a um, couple of the odds, and then I go basically through each of the athletes in the pro field and give an assessment of where the numbers show they are, and for most of them, some some of my comments or from comments that they um, sent me and yeah, just just to look through how the race might unfold, what each one is hoping for, and hopefully um, th- their strengths and weaknesses in the field. Well, 
one of the cool things you did, um, and I'm not sure if you've done this in previous years, um, but in, in your summary of last year's race, you've actually sort of uh, graphically yeah, put in there awesome. where, the, where how the athletes sort of, the, how their race unfolded in terms of their placing. So you might have, say, you know, uh, 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 somebody who's a weaker swimmer, where they were out of the swim, where they were at different stages on the the bike, you know, the 30, 60, 90 mile, etc. mark on the bike, and then where they were as they uh, as they moved through through the race. Is that something you've done in the past, and is it is it tricky to do? Yeah, I've, I think I've done that two or three years ago, but I'm not sure if I included that in the review of last year's race in, in the report. Um, basically, it's it's um, my try of um, getting all the data that um, Ironman puts out there in, in form of uh, individual splits and, and the timing mats that they put out there. And I mean, the way they put it out there is there's a big table and you have to click on each athlete to see um, at what time the athlete was there. And it's just very very hard to get through the, all the data and to figure out how the race unfolded and the way that i do this is i try to put it in a graph and then you can see where each athlete was during the race how far back from the lead he was he or she was um basically who who took some more time in the swim and then made up time on the on the bike or maybe on the run later on or who exploded and then just falls away uh, from the lead and i found that to be um, basically a, a very compact way of showing a lot of data. I mean, it looks at first a little little confusing, I guess, once you, but once you figure out what's what's in there, um, it's a really nice way of looking at how the race unfolded. Jeez, guys, I'll tell you what, just get it. It's bloody amazing with the amount of work you put into this. How, how long does it take you to do? Because it's pretty bloody thorough, and the detail you've got on each athlete, it's, it's God, how many hours does it take you to do this? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it would be uh, prudent to uh, run the numbers on how much time I put in there and the return I get for that. I mean, it's just, it's just something that I like and that I have a lot of fun doing and um, sending emails to athletes and getting their view on things and so on. Um, but yeah, it would be nice if I got paid for that. So I'm always happy if people donate donate some um, money for the work that I put in there. But it's for me, it's just uh, something I like to do and that I have fun doing. And uh, basically helps my anticipation of the race and and the enjoyment that I get from from actually following the race because I have so many storylines in the back of my mind that may happen on race day or not, and then just going through the data that Ironman puts out there is sometimes frustrating and figuring out what what's actually going on because there's so much more that they could do. Mm. One thing that uh, you've always got your ear close to the ground um, on lots of different gossip things and uh, and kind of know what's going on within Ironman a little bit more than probably we do. What um, what's the story on as far as you know in terms of the GPS tracking this year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, from what I heard and I spoke to a couple of people um, a few uh, months ago when uh, the race in Frankfurt was going on. Uh, they switched the company that provided the the trackers, and that also um, crunches the data that they get from the trackers. So um, the tracker themselves, they have gotten much smaller and are easier to carry now. Um, but the problem that I see is that um, they don't make too good use of the data. Um, I think the athletes do get, um, basically each athlete gets um, a dot on a map. So um, if you're following a spe special athlete and that athlete shares the link that he got uh, with you, you know where the athlete is, but it's not um, a comprehensive view of uh, what's actually going on in the race. And I know that 
Last year, there was a GPS leaderboard that was uh, open to the public. Um, as far as I know, there's nothing like that for this year. Um, so that's, yeah, that's a bit of a bummer. And I spoke to the people that uh, were running the service. They're mainly uh, providing a service to age groupers. So if uh, uh, you want to follow a certain athlete and want to know where that athlete shows up and how he's progressing across uh, the, the, the course, then that's what their target uh, is. And um, yeah, they're, they didn't seem to uh, be able to do too much work in the in the pro side of the GPS tracking and the, the questions that come up for that specific uh, problem area, mm. which is a bit of a shame because, I mean, I would love to get my hands on the data. And I know that there's uh, a lot of people out there that would love uh, to have more data on the athletes during the race. And I also think that I would make the, the job of the people that do the commentating in live stream so much easier if they actually knew who was who was um, you know gaining on the on the front or if Daniela is actually moving away, there are so many stuff that is just very very hard to, to get from just one or two camera views and then the the timing mats that are out there which sometimes have problems. So yeah, I, it, it it's it's just something that I wish Ironman would um, focus on a bit more than what they've done in the past. Mm. One um, thing that always intrigues me is we, we often have those, the big guns, you know, say Fredino and Keenlay and Rennie and Joycey, they're always pretty consistent, you know, on the podium, but it's you often see really different names within the top 10, you know, looking at last year's top 10, it was a really random mix of guys that, that not many would have uh, picked, um, and, you know, maybe at least half of them are quite hard to pick. You've done a bit of... Um, stats on on what sort of happens with it with the uh, how, and how variable that top ten is. What what did you sort of find from that? Yeah, I think it's pretty well known that uh, the winner from one year uh, basically comes from the top four from the previous years, and then uh, has has issues moving on. And then I looked at the same thing for um, the top ten, and it's basically uh, interesting to see where they come from and also where they end up the next year. Um, a lot of those that you know, have this um, quote-unquote random result in the top 10. They think it's their stepping uh, stone to finishing on the podium next year. But there's very, very few people that actually manage to do that. Um, so it's like a third of the athletes um, finish again the year after in the top 10. And then another third is uh, outside of the top 10. And basically most of the rest is just uh, DNFs and DNSs and um, not having a good race or year at all. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's always something that um, is a bit tricky to get across to the athletes because if they're in the top 10, um, they're really happy. But sometimes it's just, um, yeah, random might be a bit too harsh, but there's, there's, you, you need to have an element of luck to be able to place in the top 10. And that's not only um, your own performance, but also how other athletes have been doing and how the conditions were and whether the, there was a close race at the front and a couple of people overheated and DNF'd or bombed later on in the run and so on um and that's always um tricky to um yeah get the right mindset um for it 
Now, you must be feeling pretty good about being a German right now because um, on, <laughs> on, on, your rank, uh, on your ranking system, you've got the top well, three. There, there's, there's not too many women that are actually going to be in the top ten from the German side. <laughs> yeah, but on the guys' side, you've got the top three with Fredinos, Keenley, and, and Raylert, and then you've got another two in the top ten. So uh, based on the numbers, uh, it looks like it's going to be a bit of a one-horse race with uh, Jan Fredino predicted to come in uh, eight minutes in front of Spes yeah if you just look at the raw numbers but then kona is is always so special and it's it's always um the little things that decide kona and i mean frodo is is the clear favorite but i'm sure that um sebi has been thinking about this race for for a year basically since he crossed the finish line last year and i don't think he will um concede uh anything to to frodo before the race um I'm not sure what his plan is, but I'm sure he has some kind of plan in the back of his pocket that that he's going to pull out and that he's going to make it really, really hard for, for Frodo to uh, actually win the race this year again. Just, just outside of this kind of Kona talk, in, in, in Germany, how, big, how much of a star is Jan Fredino and how much of a star is Kingley? Are they, uh, are they both like household names or is it very much just kind of within the triathlon world? Like how much would the general public know these guys? Well, I think uh, Frodo is very, very well known um, because he did uh, win the Olympics in 2008 and he won uh, Kona last year. Um, I think he was um, Sportsman of the Year last year, mm. so it's a really big um, thing. Um, I think with Jan, um, the interesting thing is that um, he learned to play the game uh, when he was Olympic champion and he might have made some mistakes and he might have missed some, some chances in, in after that. But now he really has that part of being a pro athlete down. So he's able to make the most of being a Kona winner and um, also winning Frankfurt last year, winning um, Rot this year, uh, posting a world record. I mean, all of these are um, exceptional results that he's able to um, use and market really well. I mean, um, just look at the, the coverage that we got from, from uh, Rot this year. W once they announced that he'd be starting there, and that uh, he'd be going for the world record. Uh, TV stations showed up that wanted to cover the race, and they didn't just show like like a 15-minute clip uh, at the end of the year. They showed the, the whole thing live. Wow. And um, there's there's going to be TV coverage uh, from Kona this year again. I think the um, uh, German uh, TV will have, I'm not sure, one or two cameras on their own in addition to the coverage that uh, WTC provides. Uh, commentary going on, so... Um, it's it's a big thing. Um, I mean, it's not at the level that that um, soccer is here or football, however you want to call it. Uh, but it's it certainly gets a lot of attention. Mm. So you know, we we know the big um, the big Kahuna's, you know, Frodo, Keenley, Raylert, etc. But who are some of the athletes that you think maybe we should uh, should keep an eye on? Just from the German side, or in general? Uh, <laughs> in more in general. general. We, we we can we can spend an hour just talking about the Germans, but um, <laughs> um, well, I mean, the, the the next nation that will look for a good result in in Kona again is the U.S. And we had two uh, athletes that finished pretty up uh, in in Kona last year with Tim O'Donnell and Andy Potts, and those would also be some that I would consider at least. Um, in, in uh, podium contention this year, depending on how the race turns out. Uh, Brent McMahon might be one that um, also had great result. I mean, Canada, that's almost almost the U.S., so North America, a lot of mm -hmm. uh, ones there. Um, 
yeah, the Australians are always um, good there. I mean, Timmy Burkle might might be able to have a good result there. He he's been having some good results this year. Um, Reedy, after having won the seventy point three champs, I mean, uh, you don't know how what um, shape he'll throw, uh, show up with in Kona, but he's shown that um, absolutely he, he'd be one that could uh, potentially do very well in Kona. Um, ex-champions like Freddie Van Leard and so on. Um, I mean, there's there's just <laughs> the list goes on and on of athletes that you'd you'd say, okay, these are at least podium contenders, if not more, and then you'd have like 15 or so that could easily end up on the podium without raising any any eyebrows, and maybe 35 of the men's field that might easily show up in the top 10. So mm-hmm. it's just going to be. Um, really close, really interesting, um, different tactics going on, um, both at the front of the race and maybe in the, in the chase group, uh, on the bike and then, um, lots of attrition going on on the run. So yeah, lot, lots of things that'll happen during the race. <laughs> okay. On the, on the guy's side of things, we know that, um, uh, Pete Jacobs is, is out of the race, but have you heard any other gossip about anybody that might be injured or or have had a bit of a rough time? Because we know that um, Andreas Raylert, you know, he's had a bit of a rough ride this year. Um, maybe give us an update on where he's at and, and anybody else that you know who might have been uh, battling with injury and just sort of scraping in. Yeah, from what I know, Pete is the only one who uh, qualified or accepted a slot and is not going to race. Um, there's always uh, a couple that might carry an injury that um, they hope still goes away until race day, but so far he's the only one who um, said he's not going to race. Um, with Andreas Relat, um, he basically had a stress fracture uh, and at the start of the year. Um, he was scheduled to do Frankfurt and had to skip that race. Um, he had enough points from last year because he was second, um, but he needed a validation race, and he did that um, basically last minute in Copenhagen on mm-hmm. the... Uh, last weekend of um, races that would still be acceptable as a validation race. Uh, he was great in the swim and bike, and I think he posted a bike record uh, uh, when he finished. Um, was okay for the first part of the run, but I guess then his lack of training um, caught up with him. And he, I don't know if he took things easier or whether he just wasn't able to to um, to uh, go hard uh, in the second half or whether he was saving some energy. But, um, I mean, he validated... Um, he is going to be in Kona. Um, I think he's going to um, show up in decent shape. Whether that shape will be enough um, for him to go for uh, um, the win or a podium finish again, that'll be hard to tell. And it's, it, I mean, his strength in the last couple of years has always been an extremely strong run. Mm. And that's tricky with the amount of run training that he was just probably able to do. Um, okay, and then, and then on the um, the girls' side of things, I think it's a bit pretty similar stuff. You know, I think everybody expects Daniela Reef to go out there and smash it. Although, judging by the seventy point three, she had a pretty bit of an off day there. Um, any any um, gossip on the girls' side of things on anybody who might be potentially struggling? Or, or I know Jody Swallow just did the ITU Worlds last weekend, so two weeks out that could be a bit of a bit of a tricky turnaround but any any other sort of gossip on the inside of the the females um females race yeah one athlete that's always mentioned on the u.s side is is meredith kessler who always runs very very strong uh basically in any other race than kona mm. um she took a bit of a breather this summer too she was scheduled to do uh route in the summer 
and skip that to rehab and, and I don't know, some some uh, leg injury, uh, muscle injury that she had. Um, from what I heard, she um, is okay with that. And she also thinks she figured out what her issues were, that she couldn't properly swim in, in Kona. Um, but, I mean, that's that's two potential question marks, what, what she'll be able to do. Mm. So I don't know if she's going to be able to do really well uh, in Kona. And then you have a long list of, of athletes that did well last year. I mean, Heather Jackson, um, um, Sarah Pimpiano, um, um, Liz Lyles, potentially from the U.S., that might also uh, do well. I, she did uh, Wisconsin a couple weeks ago, so that might be a bit close again. Lindsay Corbin is back. Um, yeah, and then you have a number of others, Susie Cheatham, uh, Kara Lester, um, Lucy Gossage, who might um, just recover in time from her broken collarbone, uh, maybe German too, Julia Geyer or, or Anja Berenek. I mean, again, the list goes on and on just on athletes that might finish in the top 10. You can basically go down to yeah, 30 athletes again, I guess. It's, it's interesting if you look at the females race based on your predictions here. You've, you've basically got Reef and Caffrey, and you've got the miles ahead of everyone else, you know, probably around 15, you know, up to 20 minutes ahead of everyone else. So in some ways, in, based on your predictions, we are really, especially without Joycey there, we are really looking at a two-horse race. Yeah, basically looking at that um, from the previous numbers, um, I mean, obviously those two would be the ones that you'd expect to go off the front and that also would potentially um, smash each other. But then you have Mel Hauschild, who I haven't mentioned before. Um, she, she might be one that just tries to tag on to Rini and uh, that'll be something very interesting to see um, Mel and Rini start the run close together and needing to make up, say, 12 minutes to, to Daniela at that point and then work together to close the gap to to her and um, fight it out towards the end. Uh, there's there's just so many scenarios and so many little things that may influence on how the race turns out. And um, it could be that um, things are totally boring at the start of the run because Daniela is so far ahead of everyone else that uh, there's not going to be any doubt that she um, would, would come across. But we might, may also see like like a uh, female iron war if Rini and Mel are uh, close together and just just a couple of minutes behind Daniela. Um, you're right that probably the distances at the front of the race will be large enough that there's not going to be a really big thrill. But then uh, the race for the podium or for the fourth to tenth will be. I don't know, as close as, as anything I've seen. And that might be something that will be totally hard to um, follow during the race. And mm. basically, you'll just see athletes crossing the finish line and wondering, just like last year, uh, where did where did Susie Cheatham come from? Where did Sarah Piampiano come from when, when they were crossing in fifth and uh, sixth and sevens or Heather Jackson who moved through the field? And there's just so, that, so much that could happen that will be hard to capture during the race. And... Um, that's also why I like to go back to the results and actually figure out how the race developed um, for each of the athletes that finished that high up and what their race plans were and whether the plans that I had before the race worked out or didn't. Okay, so if, I guess for you, uh, the time zone's not great. Do you do you pull an all-nighter? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, it's exactly 12 hours time difference to uh, Kona. So the race starts for me at 6.30 p.m. And then um, it's easily going into, well, 4, maybe 5 in the morning. Um, luckily, then there's that's a Sunday. So I get to take that Sunday off. Yeah. But, um, yeah, of course, I, I'm, it's going to be an all-nighter for me. 
Great. <laughs> Excellent, guys. So um, if anybody wants to get hold of the um, Try Rating Report, you go to tryrating.com and Torsten puts a huge amount of work in there and it's just, you know, it's feel like it's, you know, you're buying yourself a magazine for race day that you can uh, have a good read up before and, and, and as you're watching the race unfold, you can go back and, you know, if there's some surprise athlete, you know, a few years ago we had Ben Hoffman who was a bit of a surprise right up there, Tim, um, Tim O'Donnell was up there and you actually go back and go, okay, can this guy actually run and you can have a look through the through the stats and uh, and see what it's all about. So it's such a great resource to have beside you on today. You know, yeah. like seriously, even beforehand, if you even just want to spend a few hours just reading some of the work he's put in here, it's pretty great, guys. So Torsten, you have a, have, a, have a fun time doing your all-nighter and uh, hopefully we'll provide, <laughs> will, you with, sure. provide you with a bit more content uh, as we lead in there with our interviews from the race. So uh, thanks again for your time. Well, thank you guys. It's always interesting to follow the Kona coverage that you guys put up there and make sure you get some interesting athletes before and after the race. Oh, we'll so do our best. It's all lined up already. So <laughs> Awesome, man. Appreciate your time. <laughs> thanks, guys. I, I'd hate to think how many hours he's put into that, John. It'd be a lot of a lot of effort. There's a lot of hours. It's, Torsten, thank you because you've saved me some hours because I was just having a, a, a scan through it before the show and uh, we're going to be going along to, a bit like we did a few years ago, the, the, the Team BMC yep. Etix sort of lunch. Looking forward to that lunch, Bevan. That's right, that was a good feed, wasn't it? We didn't do many interviews last time, which is eight. And... Uh, and so hopefully we'll catch up with as many on that, that team as possible. And they've got Will Clark and uh, I know a lot of you POMs will be wanting um, David McNamee. Uh, and then there's a few others on the team as well, Bart Aronots, and there was one other. Can't remember who the last one was. Anyway, um, Will Clark, like he's a former ITU guy. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, ITU guy, I'm always going to talk them up. Me going to Torsten's thing. He's got a full write up about him, and uh, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know what results he's done to get there. But he had a really good placing in uh, Ironman Frankfurt, and then he got second at, uh, at at I think it was Copenhagen. But I wouldn't have had a clue that he ran a rate, rate. He's got the new run course record at Frankfurt. So you see the run course. So it's just little things like that. Um, just some some great stats and some great insight into the race. So um, yeah. Pay, pay what you do for a magazine subscription or more. We'd encourage you to do more. Yeah, but it's, it's a great little resource. It really is. Like, when he said athlete profiles, I thought he'd just have their results or something. But mm. he's actually gone and written a piece on and he's gone to the athletes a lot of the time. Mm. Man, it's good. And it's just great insight. So if you're going to watch Kona, highly recommend you invest, you know, 10, 15 bucks and get Thorson's way. Um, great resource. I'll have it beside me all day, I'll tell you that much. Mm. Yeah. Jeff Fairbanks, you may remember that name. Uh, a number of months ago, we had him on the podcast. He was doing the the, the Triumph Project, and he planned oh, to yeah. do twenty one. We're doing questions and answers now, are we? Yeah, questions oh, and questions answers. Questions and answers. <laughs> he was doing twenty one uh, seventy point three efforts in uh, in a row, and uh, it was good that I gave him some motivation on here. <laughs> Did I put it in there or not? He had he had a big long race report that he sent me, and uh, and then after we'd done the. The interview with him, he listened back to the interview, and, and, and I think I said after the interview, I was going, I don't think this guy's got much of a clue about what he's actually <laughs> got himself yeah. in for, and that gave him a little bit of extra extra motivation because he wasn't the the who was the yeah. guy who did the fifty Ironmans in fifty days, Iron Cowboy, and 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 likewise with um, dude in Australia, forgotten your name off the top of my head, yeah. who did the seven Iron fifty uh, did yeah the, we had him on the show yeah, yeah. Um, and did, did that they were experienced athletes who kind of to some degree knew what they were getting going in for but I kind of felt that Jeff didn't really know what he was getting in getting himself in for to his credit he went out there and he did the business hands down the community response and communication virtual was 
beyond anything I would have imagined. This was probably uh, the worst thing, aside from day three, wherein I just felt horrible and had some nutrition issues that needed to be handled. Logistics of getting from location to location with a 20-foot camper trailer was exhaustive and demotivating and that's a theme that's come across all these um, athletes that have done these big challenges is yeah it's really hard yes getting through the races is really difficult but it's the between races that's a real challenge always well, got here overall so what are some of my overall thoughts now that I've been through this and it's all said and done what are some of the most memorable spots? First and foremost, I'm in complete shock that I got it done, if I'm going to be honest. I think I'm as surprised, if not more, than anyone who may have been unsure that I could pull it off. One comment that stuck with me before all this began was from the podcast. Oh, there you go. I had done wherein the commenters spoke after my recorded session had ended. During their conversation, they mentioned that there had been a number of people who had taken on these extreme efforts and most of them had come to some sort of type of accomplishment racing or come from some type of racing accomplishment. So it sounds like he was kind of maybe didn't know what he's going into but bloody shocked and proud that he got there yeah and i think his whole idea is that they were going to be trying to make some sort of documentary out of that so we'll see where that what comes out of that and well done jeff if you're listening there's a guy in the uk years ago who tried to do a documentary about him who was recreational runner at best maybe not even a runner and tried to see if he could qualify for the the marathon at the Olympics. Oh, right. yeah uh, i only watched the trailer i didn't see the documentary <laughs> but he just got injured basically but he think yeah. he got down to a you know, he was getting sub three, maybe you know, yeah, three, yeah. in the three fifties or something, or two fifties. But yeah, uh, Richard Swan sent through an email, John. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I may not be in the sub nine club, but we all know there's a far more exclusive club than the membership of the sub nine, and that's the membership of the sub three in Taupo. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether John name is a mentor of that club with me. Maybe you could ask him. I'm going to be joining the sub three hour club and wrote uh, next year. You've never done sub three. You've done three hours on the dot, haven't you? It was like three hours and however many seconds. Uh, I think it was like one second. It wasn't one, but it was it was a handful. Yeah. And I did struggle in that last little bit. I did, uh, I wouldn't say I crumbled, but some dude did pass me. There's a little bit of climb when you're in rote, just when you come up from the um, from down by the canal, you kind of climb up onto a little plateau, and I was I was crumbling a bit at that stage. Just got an email through just now from Nick. Nose, Nose Rose. Rose. Yep. Uh, he did Mallorca on the Mallorca weekend. weekend. He sent through just uh, some beautiful island paradise and train race on. Plenty of shine, sunshine and wonderful glass-like road surfaces, except on race days. <laughs> there you go. The day before the race, it was announced that the race was going to be a non-wetsuit swim mm-hmm. uh, because the water temperature was 25.8. Mm-hmm. It's pretty warm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the race build-up weather was pretty warm, 25 to 32 degrees consistently the week before. Then overnight storms brought chill to the sea, enough to drop temperatures to 24.5, which means wetsuit option. This was announced at 6 a.m. of race morning. I, I, that rule does my head in. Tell me about it, John. Where you can choose if you want to wear a wetsuit or not. It's either wetsuit or it's not wetsuit. Simple but if it's a wetsuit, you can still choose not to. You can, but... Yeah, you'd be full not to. Yeah. But they should just say it's a wetsuit swim. If you want to choose not to, then... It's one or the other. I didn't hear one complaint about the communication or change of heart, so that was good for on man. The race day weather would continue to defy and build up temperature and meant that the massively different experience depending on your race speed. This turned out to be biblical of some in some places. The ascent descent from LLCUC, pronounced look, uh, was in some cases complete in hail and sleet with visibility down to 30 metres. The pros were on the run before the real rain came. Age groupers at the front had the rain for the last 30k. 
but we're really unlikely and had to descend on torrential storms and simply switchbacks. Not pleasant. Basically rain the whole run, rivers and puddles everywhere. Trench foot uh, was more preferable at 35 degree heat, but it made it tough slog, albeit a fast day from age group ranks. Local lad Carlos Lopez was cheered all the way around as he pretty much did it solo with seven minute lead off the bike and a 4.36 bike split was awesome. It was parade on the run. Uh, Jocelyn McCauley was the first woman home. Yeah, so he's just all in all, great race. Rooms will be the last one there, so watch this space. Cool. Mm. Um, I had a little photo sent through from um, oh, Peter Mills, and it had a little picture. It was the Bermuda Triathlon. No, when was this? Uh, 1988, I think it's it was. It kind of says shame on sport for a few reasons. Interesting, for, shame on sport for prize money. Yeah, um, so back then, and it was I think it was 88, uh, Mark Allen took out the race, took home $16,000, and today's money, that's $32,000, pretty much double it, paid 20 deep, uh, so Wolfgang, uh, Rop, Rip Ethelstein took out 20th place with 600 bucks, so I guess it's 1200 bucks in today's money, so... And, and, Good and, names uh, in here, uh, but eh? Oh, jeepers, yeah. So, yeah, Mark Allen, Scott Tinley, Brad Coons, I don't know Brad Coons, John. Yeah, no, he was he was solid. Brock, Brooks Clark? Scott Molina, Sean Molina, Sean Molina. That was his brother, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I thought Molina hadn't had a very good day, and I didn't actually realise that was Sean Molina. Good good old young young fellow by the name of Lance Armstrong. Tenth place. Apparently took drugs, John. Yeah, Uh, my pig. Yeah. King Clark. King Clark there in sixteenth place. Wolfgang Diedrich. Likewise, on the girls' side of things, the Puntos girls took it out with a two-second margin between them. Colleen Cannon was uh, was third. Joanne Ritchie fourth. So, yeah, Karen Smiles down in eighth. So it was a big race. I think this was the Bermuda Triathlon. Um, wasn't one, it wasn't, this wasn't like the World Championships or anything like that. And uh, pretty good money back on off it back then. Jesus, pros would have made a lot of money back in those days, eh? Because they raced a lot. Mm. You know, and also, so that was an Olympic distance. I'd love to know what degree. Mark Allen made in those peak years, what he made income-wise, and how they would sit in comparison to maybe... I never chat to him in Kona. Maybe, maybe we'll ask him that question. Mm-hmm. You know, just you know, tell us how much money you made. Some people, yeah. some people don't like to say, but I, I reckon tell the story. Great, because Mecca did that. Mecca did one of his podcasts a while ago, and he said how much he was making. I can't remember what it was, mm. but it'd be interesting to see how that compares to Alan at his peak. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's so much later. Okay, it's uh, pretty much it. Jumbo uh, sponsors athletes.com social networking for endurance athletes, extreme endurance, Your lactic buffer, and a few of our patrons We've got Matt Nuttycraft. Richard Stinger Ray, Danger Duncan Penfold, Andrew Under the Hammer Taylor, and Shauno the Porno Barnes. Shauno the Porno Barnes, he's, he's training to do the, one of his 50k races. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice madman. He's a madman, I say. Madman. The Karu or Taru or whatever it is. Tawarira? Tawarira. Yeah. Okay. He's trying to do that one. So, yeah. okay. John, what's your goss? What's my goss? Yeah, so how drunk did you get? Jeepers, creepers. What? Can't see anything out your bloody window. It's just not the best day, is it? No. no. Going to Kona on Thursday. It's all good. Uh, party, party was all good. Next day was challenging. John, I don't know how you did it. I was okay for the race, actually. I, I, my, my race briefing was not my best work. I've got to say, there was a couple of... Uh, what, what, what race was it? Uh, it was a JD duathlon. It was a miserable day as well. It was not. So it was a really tough course. It was at Corsia Bay. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So the, the the run is is undulating, and then the bike is just hills, basically 100% hills. And it was. Uh, we made the call at the start of the day. Uh, I said we're 
going to delay postpone prize giving we'll do it at a later date somewhere else because you're cold you just want to get home yeah. after the race it's not the world champs and then we're standing on the start line and all starts to clear up and I, oh, damn it <laughs> made the call but then during the race it really started raining a bit and uh, wasn't particularly pleasant a couple of i am talk listeners uh, came up and said hello and they'd um one guy in particular had moved here f- he moved from man i think he said manchester to wellington now wow. he's down in christchurch wow. and there was another guy as well who i think i referred to Maybe you're, you referred to him to me and I referred him to someone else for some coaching. That was his first race. So oh, the young fella. Tall, yeah. tall, yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I can't remember his name. So um, well done to you guys. And uh, yeah, it was a good time seeing people out there on a good, good, solid, challenging race. Thomas uh, took out the boys, uh, the boys race. It was a series. So he kind of, he beat the guys beaten in them in the first two races, but it didn't quite make the win the, win the series overall because he... Uh, Got beaten in the other two races. But other than that, party was good. And another party tomorrow night. <laughs> tomorrow night? It was a Belinda organised. She wanted to do something on her birthday. So her birthday is on Wednesday. And we didn't really want to do anything. I didn't want to do anything midweek. And I'm leaving the next day as well. And it's a surprise element. We did it before her birthday. And yeah, we've got people from out of town coming in. School yep. friends and stuff. So she was uh, most happy. Nice. Until... Later on. What happened later on? She enjoyed herself. She paid the price, did she? Yeah, she did. She, how was she? To her credit, she got up and came out to the race the next morning and stuff. So, yeah. I um. So we, we had big nights at dinner. So we had big day set there because wedding's a big day. Mm-hmm. And uh, one my mate who got married, Marky Mark, he got married and uh, he um, had one of his friends lives in Tekapo and has a paintball business mm-hmm. so we got up in the morning Joe and I went for a run and then yeah. we played paintball for a few hours yeah which is heaps paintball is so much fun I haven't, I've only done it once or twice oh, yeah, really? and that was when I was at school oh so much fun made you realise two things John yeah you don't want to go to war because <laughs> <laughs> you get shot pretty quickly when you're doing paintball yeah. and you think in a real world well, you, you get shot you, you're dead yeah. so that, that was kind of fun did that for a couple of hours then went back and I was MC so I had to kind of just make sure everything was good in that front uh, and then we rocked up the dance floor I, on Sunday I was written off <laughs> and I was saying to Joe we didn't even drink which well, I didn't drink much imagine what it's like when you drink mm. and you're the example I said Sunday afternoon we drove home took a couple of hours to drive home I was on the couch Two movies. I never watched two movies back to back. <laughs> two movies back to back. I was mm. written off. So nice. Living up to that. Um, what else happened, John? Kona next week. Yep. Excited about that. It's about just really coffee boat. So yeah, if you want to meet us at, over in Kona, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, you'll be out on the coffee boat. I'll get. I'll oh, get out will there. I? Yes. Yeah, okay. I've just got to set the camp. The camp. The, the camp athletes are riding the Kona course that day, so I've just got to set them off in the morning. So you'll be out on the coffee boat. I'll get. I'll, I'll definitely be out there as well. But I might be a couple of minutes behind you. So Wednesday we're doing coffee boat. Then Wednesday morning, ten till twelve, we'll be at the I Am Talk booth. Uh, not the I Am Talk. Well, we'll call it the I Am Talk booth, shall we? Yeah, Blue we'll Seventy. Blue, 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 Blue Seventy booth, and we will have Extreme Endurance there. Fantastic sponsor. If you come along, we'll, we'll get you an interview with you. We'll chat you on the show. Absolutely, and just say hello. And then we will have. Uh, we have, hopefully have our swim caps here our sort of gold silver bronze red blue white caps i've got on one side they'll have the blue 70 logo the other side they have the i'm talk logo and then whether you're a kona killer an elite animal a palani predator are we going to go back to doing it now well we'll do it we're going to do it on the caps okay um and we'll be there and then then also on 
third, whatever that night the um, welcome dinner is, I thought we might go and just hang out at the entrance to that. And if you see us there, I'm not um, going to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> going to the party, but Keep, not going to the party. We're not, we're not doing the dinner this year, are we? I don't know. Um, oh, it seems like a bit of a waste of money, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a cool experience. And I'm encouraging oh, people on the you've never done it, it, you've got to do it. Yeah. And even if you're racing, I think you've got to do it. But if you've, you've yeah, done yeah. it before. Yeah. Do we know many people racing this year? Oh, we know loads. Is Albert racing? No, no. I don't think he's doing that many more, is he? No. no. So, keep an eye on our Facebook page. Shows will be coming out from next Tuesday, um, Kona time, which will be Wednesday, New Zealand time, or Southern Hemisphere, and we'll be into it, because I'll have a couple of interviews in the in the can before Bevan even turns up. Oh, really? Mm. Oh, good work. You, you, maybe you should do it all, and I can just have a holiday. Do that later. I do that most times. Oh, whatever. I'll I work my butt off, John. Around. I went my, admittedly, I was telling someone, uh, Paula, Paula Green, I was talking to Paula Green the other day, I was telling her how um, we've got a lot more efficient. Because our first year we went to Kona, mm. we were doing like 16 and 17 hour days. Mm. And uh, and we learned pretty quickly, A, you yeah. need a car. And John, and John, a couple of weeks ago, he goes to me, why don't we, we bring your bike? Because we might bike again. And I was thinking, what are you thinking, you schmuck? Yeah. And then luckily you saw the light. Yeah, it's still quicker to bike most places. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. It's quicker to bike maybe on race day. Mm. But you've ever time. Got that bike sorted, have you? No, I haven't even thought about it. Oh, well, good, good luck. You'll have fun running around. Okay, somebody, somebody, if you're, you know, if you're in Kona and you know, you can just borrow me a mountain bike, anything like that, just, or you know, you're racing and you bought sure two no bikes over. I'm sure no one else will want to borrow bikes over there as well. Look, someone, hey, you know, people are kind, John. Okay. People will help out. Yeah. I'm putting in a, I'm saying, team, I need help. Because the problem is, I take a bike all the way to Kona with me to ride for two hours on race day. It's a commitment you mean to make. I wonder if anyone in the camp's taking two bikes. <laughs> what do you think? Because the only reason you need a bike on race day is to get around. But it's only to get on the bike on the run. Mm. We'll do some live interviews with Jan Fredino and people like that on oh, the He loves it. Yeah, he'll be mm. like, oh, he'll actually stop and talk to us for a few minutes mm. while because he, he'll be winning by so much. Mm. Tim Reid will. Tim Reid. Tim Reid, if you're winning, okay, here we go. If Tim Reid's winning, he's got to give us an interview on, on, on the win. I'm yeah. sure he'll want to. I'm sure yeah, he's yeah. going to agree to this. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, I'm when, when Peter Jacobs won, yeah. I was giving the updates on the ride mm. and uh, yeah, they got told off by the officials. <laughs> 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 they, they gave me, they said, look, mate, you really need to move on. <laughs> Next show is coming to you from Kona. Iron Russ. I mean, don't. Train hard. Tra oh, just one thing. It will be a day late. Why? Well, because I, I don't get this until Tuesday. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so next week's going to be a day late. So yeah. just, we will be there next week, but it'll be a day late because we won't be releasing it on our normal time. It'll be a day late, John. That's right. Yeah. Iron Russ. John, do you tell us trying to get an upgrade? I'm going. See you guys, <laughs> see you guys from Kona. I mean, don't. You do the rest. Train hard. You can do my bit. Train smart. Kia There you go. Love it.